<laughs> sense of theme here. Hey, it's Gary and Shannon. Uh, thanks for downloading, listening to uh, the podcast of the Gary and Shannon Show. Now, if you want to listen to it live, you can do so every weekday from 10 a.m. until 2 p.m. in the greater Los Angeles area on KFI AM 640. Or you can go onto the iHeartRadio app and just type in KFI and listen live, listen to old shows, etc. Make sure that you subscribe not only to this podcast and share it with all your friends, but the pre-post podcast as well, which is bonus content that we can't do on the air for legal purposes. I can't make this work, then I'm going to have to get a real job. Right now, I am out. Hey, listen to me. This is a real job. I am the one with the job. You're the one who lies around the house all day in a pool of your own slobber. Gary Hoffman. He drug a stink in here so bad the livestock wouldn't stay. Shannon Farron. She is washed up. You understand me? She's finished. She's a troublemaker. She's on my list. Gary and Shannon. You can Google it. It's worth a Google. Now for the coup de grace. say we're working i mean would, yes would we use I mean, the term work we're definitely we're not prepared for it and we're no. not dressed for it but yes we're still here this I mean, is all true technically we're still working uh well happy labor day everybody monday september 3rd what are you gonna barbecue today uh i barbecued yesterday uh mm. i did uh i did the burgers and the dogs yeah and we have a lot left over <laughs> so i'm gonna be eating burgers and dogs for the entire week but with big, beautiful buns. That's the best way. Uh, the buns Thank are you. key. Yes. I, I mean, I'm a firm believer in if you don't have the right bun, mm-hmm. it, what are you doing? Why are you even eating that? Because you've got to get your bun to hold up to your meat. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's some really bad buns out there. And you don't want it dry. You no. Gotta, you got to abs- squirt oh. a bunch of that stuff on it and yeah. just, yeah, because the better... But the bun has got to hold up to the condiments. You know, it can't just break apart. And I mean, I, I, I really do strongly believe you shouldn't be eating a hamburger unless it's got a bun that's built for that piece of meat. A bun that's <clears throat> built for that piece of meat. President well, you're not Trump. Do you're not going to do it on like Wonder Bread or anything. No, yeah. God, no. President Trump starting off his Labor Day with a bit of an attack on Twitter on a top union leader tweeted today that AFL-CIO president... Richard Trumka represented his union poorly on television this weekend. So a way to start off Labor Day. A lot of action at Del Mar last night. Apparently a guy was told that there were no more tickets available to the Ice Cube concert. Uh, how did he respond? Uh, he fired his gun into the crowd, oh. so he was shot by a deputy. So did they then give him tickets? I don't think that that's how that works. Oh, strange. Thought that yeah. would have been a... Huh. <clears throat> There was also um, uh, a shooting in San Bernardino at an apartment complex. Eight oh, yeah, that's were nuts. Uh, we'll talk about all of these stories as we go through the day today, um, including the uh, Mayor Garcetti continues to waste everyone's time in other states. Uh, we feel like with each of these trips that he makes into Ohio or Iowa or New Hampshire, wherever, we should we should call and apologize now for putting people to sleep by listening to the guy speak. If they don't know your name in San Francisco, 
How are they going to know your name in the battleground states? Uh, it's it's uh, I, I feel bad if there's anybody who is itching to give the Garcetti 2020 campaign money. Um, let me hold on to it for you for just like 10 minutes. Just just let me hold on to it. You, the feeling will pass and you can get back to your life. Well, after two big funerals that were multi-day celebrations of life and somber affairs and some stages, apparently everyone is a funeral connoisseur. You know, everyone's got an opinion on, on the memorials and the funerals and, and the comments and everyone's a eulogy uh, pr- uh, uh, pr- uh, professional. Yeah, what's appropriate? What's not yeah. appropriate? Yeah. Shut up! I, I don't, I don't understand why you get you sitting out there, for example, watching on television Saturday morning the eulogies for uh, for John McCain, and then crossing your arms and tisk tisking. That was inappropriate. Very, very uncouth for her to be so upset for him to say those things. <laughs> Stop it. You don't judge people's eulogies. Now, you can judge a handsy pastor. Hold on a second. I completely defend uh, handsy bishop Charles Ellis III. No, no, no. He has got a handful of breasts. By the way, his middle initial is H. Did you know that? I did not. Charles Hansy Ellis III. Um, I don't... I don't... Here's the thing. If it was an accident, does he have to apologize for it? The thing is, is his hand was right into the side. We're going to need some video on this, somebody. His hand was right right into the side boob, and it stayed there, and his fingers moved around. You can tell that she's uncomfortable, too. Like, if you've ever been in an uncomfortable hug, you know you've been there. You've been in those shoes. Okay, I will say that's, that's a blind spot for me. Such thing as an uncomfortable hug, because I don't think think it exists. You wouldn't. It takes a lot to make you probably feel uncomfortable. But again, I mean, if, I've seen people grab your ass in public, and it, there's nothing there. There's, I, was, mean, I mean, there was bottom there. I just meant that there was – you didn't react. So so Ariana Grande nails this performance of Natural Woman in front of thousands of people who love Aretha Franklin. So she kills it. And the pastor, the bishop, comes over and gives her a hug and says thank you. He hugged everybody, by the way. Gives her a hug and says, thank you for the performance and kind of jokes about his daughter saying you're not cool because you don't know what Ariana Grande is. And he says, I thought it was a new menu item at Taco Bell. (laughs) And I didn't see. I mean, we watched that whole thing. We watched that whole exchange. I never saw what I thought, you know, what turned out to be an uncomfortably leveled hand up up against right Side breast thing. Well, and we're very much in a land of gotcha with the media and people trying to isolate things and make them a bigger deal than they are. But that said, when you go back and you watch it again and you know where the hand is and you can kind of see how she is uncomfortable. Well, then I think it's an apology. If if she felt like it was the wrong spot and he lingered a little too he far. Said, and it was, he said something to the effect of, I may have crossed the border. I loved that line. But it's clear he's not going to go grab someone's knockers on national television at a memorial service. Now, is it also – well, and that's the thing. I think you'll find people that argue that it's so normal for guys to get handsy and hugs that they don't think it's that big of a deal. You're going to hear that argument. I don't have that argument. I'm just saying you're going to hear that. But 
is the Taco Bell reference times two a little bit too much? <laughs> what do you mean times two? Cross the border. Oh, 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 no. <laughs> I don't think that was. Um, but he did say, you know, I thought that that was something new at Taco Bell, which people then said was racist. You if know what? that's the case, well, then Taco he, Bell itself is racist. He got a lot of crap for being legitimately racist in his eulogy. Is, no, this was a different guy. Oh, a different guy. A different guy. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. the, the, the guy who did the eulogy at Aretha Franklin's memorial yes. took a lot of heat over the weekend. You're right. That's uh, Reverend, Reverend Jasper Jas- Williams Jr. I want to play for you when we come back. I want to play for you what the Reverend Williams said because it's uh, – what's the word? People were calling it a disaster of a speech. Somebody said, did President Trump send Reverend Williams to do the eulogy? That it was tinged with racism. Yes. But you you can, you know, I'll play a good well, 30 seconds of yeah, it. You can judge he, for yourself. Uh, of course, Aretha was a single mom. Yep. And he went after that situation mm-hmm. for people, saying something to the effect of... I think he I think he himself was raised in a, in a home with just a mother. He described the idea of children being raised without a provider, father, and a mother as the nurturer as abortion after birth. That's the wrong place for that. We'll come back and talk more about this. Gary and Shannon will continue. A big deal coming up in the 1 o'clock hour also. We want to know your weirdest celebrity sighting. Not, I was uh, I was at a movie premiere and I saw John Krasinski. I want to, like, I was at a Manny, getting a Manny Petty and right there was Emily Blunt. You know what? John Thomas has a great celebrity sighting story and we should get him on, see if he's available. Nick. Get John on the horn. Make sure he's in a suit. Everybody's working for the weekend. Everybody wants a new romance. Everybody's going off the deep end. Gary and Shannon, a little bit later this hour, we're going to get into the uh, infamous BTK killer. He's kind of given some idea and insight into his own mind about what led him to torture and murder 10 people during his uh, during his rampage. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Next hour, we're going to get into the story about the Del Mar race. Well, a couple shootings. The shooting at the Del Mar racetrack where the guy couldn't get tickets to Ice Cube. And then a dice game in San Bernardino. Uh, three people listed critical condition right now. They're saying multiple weapons, multiple shooters. And even though there were plenty of people who watched the whole thing go down... Nobody's talking. Witnesses have been very hard uh, to find. Big headlines in the NFL over the weekend. Nick Foles is starting for the Eagles on Thursday. Nathan Peterman is starting for the Bills. And the Chargers have brought back Antonio Gates. And what about Khalil Mack going to... uh... I don't know what the hell John Gruden's thinking, but I think that he didn't think he was going to be worth the money. Yeah. And uh, it's a huge move. Uh, everyone in the Raiders organization, fans, players, are not loving it. I guess you got to give... But it was definitely Gruden's call. It's totally his call. And I, you give him at least the benefit of the doubt that he's smart enough to know what he's doing. Yeah, he, he was the defensive player of the year last year. Yeah. And and in his prime. Maybe there's more to it. Maybe there's an attitude issue. Maybe he I don't think so. Just the personality conflict. All right. We've been talking about some of the uh, the funerals that took place over the week at some of them because not all of them were uh, noteworthy. But we saw what Aretha Franklin's uh, absolute celebration, joyous, raucous celebration was. and Raucous. Raucous. I mean, because people were 
uh, loud and proud and and funny. I mean, as emotional as it was, yeah. it was a. I mean, it was a celebration of this woman's life because she was such an entertainer. Now, one of the guys that got up, the Reverend Jasper Williams, uh, gave a, a sermon uh, at the funeral on Friday and says that he knows that there are critics out there of the things that he said. This is just a, by the way, just a taste of what the Reverend Jasper Williams said. Black lives do not matter. Black lives will not matter. Black lives ought not matter. Black lives should not matter. Black lives must not matter until black people start respecting black lives and stop killing ourselves. Black lives can never matter. Okay. Uh, just in the background, you could hear there were plenty of people who were um, who were tracking right along with the Reverend Williams there. He was blasted on social media for misogyny, again, calling the mother the nurturer and the father the provider, uh, blasted for bigotry, his um, science on race. He blamed integration and the civil rights movement for ripping the heart out of black microeconomies that once relied on black-owned small businesses, grocery stores, hotels, banks. And he said, as a response to that backlash, he said, I'm sure much of the negativity is due to the fact they don't understand what I'm talking about. He says, anybody who thinks black America is all right as we are now is crazy. We're not all right. It's a lot of change that needs to occur. This change must come from within us. Nothing can give us things to eliminate where we are. It's ludicrous for the church not to be involved. The church is the only viable institution we have in the African-American community. He spoke for about 50 minutes of this eight-hour funeral, but got tons of attention for this. And it's too bad. I mean, I, the thing about social media is that it, even if it's supposed to generate conversation, it stifles conversation. Because he can have a he can do a sermon like this, and then people will simply fire him, you know, fire at him without any sort of a dialogue. It just it's a it's a he he gives one version, they give their opinion of it, and then it's over. He doesn't have a chance to. Uh, change minds or discuss it any further because people are upset and close, you know, stick their fingers in their ears. Um, the other, the other issue, I was a little addicted to the John McCain Memorial on Saturday morning. You know what? I enjoyed hearing from George W. Bush and Barack Obama. And, uh, I don't know if that's a referendum to the lack of great public speaking we have in the white house right now, but I got to say, it was nice to hear from them both, and they were funny, and they were heartfelt, and I think they did a great job, and I think it speaks volumes that McCain asked them to eulogize him. Yeah. Uh, I, I saw Joe Lieberman get up there who could who could bore a tree. but Yeah, uh, I couldn't do that. I didn't watch that. <laughs> but then they had um, Henry Kissinger get up there. And How old is Henry he's Kissinger? He's 90 plus. I don't know. He's 94, 96, yeah. something like that. And you could tell. I mean, he was having a hard time getting through some of the words, but it very just, just eloquent about you know, this guy, John McCain, who, for all intents and purposes, was the last person, I guess, to really epitomize the reaching across the aisle for compromise to get things done. Yes, and they would say, listen, yes, he can be a complete a-hole or could have been a complete a-hole if he believed strongly in something but knew that the conversation had to continue regardless of whatever it was. Um, Megan McCain was the one who got the most criticism for her 
eulogy. Praise and criticism. Because of what she said. This is the line that was the winner. She speaks quietly because she is strong. That's the country. America does not boast because she has no need to. The America of John McCain has no need to be made great again because America was always great. And a long applause line. I mean, the America she, was always great. I don't. I, she gets to say whatever she wants because that's her dead father in that box. Uh, but I'll say this: she also had a hell of a platform, and she makes her living uh, doing this kind of thing. Yeah. So she's going to say something about then somebody I, who's very critical of. I don't think anybody in the father. family would have said, "Hey, Megan, don't say that," or no. you know, it's not it's not the place or the that's time. That's who she is. That's who John was right. too. Right. So it makes perfect sense that she would do that. Um, I wouldn't, but that's, you know, like you said, that's her dad in that box there. She has she has free reign. She can do what she wants. Leave her alone. You want to talk about serial killers? Yeah, you know, nothing epitomizes Labor Day to me more than a discussion on serial killers. Come on, they always seem to cheer you up. <laughs> the Dodgers are back in first place. Let's talk that's about serial killers then. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. Well, pick up your feet. We've got a deadline to meet. I'm gonna see you make it on time. Oh, don't relax. I want elbows and backs. I wanna see everybody from behind. Cause you're working for the man. <laughs> Bill Clinton song. I was. <laughs> What's going on here? Sometimes you don't want to listen to the lyrics. I want to that see everyone from behind. Oh, all right. Huh. Uh, Gary Shannon on this uh, Labor Day. It's Monday, September third. Um, top of the hour, we're going to get into the story of the uh, shootings, the Del Mar shooting at the Del Mar racetrack before the Ice Cube concert, um, and then the uh, San Bernardino apartment complex shooting as well, where no one apparently saw anything. Uh, of course not. So. The and the surveillance are, cameras were not working. Your surveillance there. cameras? Nobody there. sees anything. It's not. Um, and Swamp Watch, still some Swamp Watch stuff to get into. The president went after the leader of the ACLU. Uh, sorry, AFL-CIO. There's a lot of letters there. Some of them are the same. Stop it. I didn't say one word. Or I know you. It's ice mark. AFL-CIO. Richard Trumka. Um, because he was doing a bad job on TV over the weekend. So we'll talk about that. And more on this, the whole thing about John Kerry potentially running for president. I saw him at the McCain Memorial and I thought, oh, boy. So I don't know if this is just because I have a screwed up head or that I've worked in news my whole professional career. Mm -hmm. But I remember where I was when serial killers are caught or Elizabeth Smart is found or Casey Anthony is not guilty. You know what I mean? Like major moments in news. I remember where I was. Like people talk about where they were when, you know, JFK died or whatever. Yeah. And I remember this being one of those instances in 2005 when they got Dennis Rader, when they got the BTK serial killer. This was a guy who murdered 10 people, including two kids over, what, three decades from the 70s to the 90s. Yeah. And there were weird things about his case that um, that that make it stand out we now know more about what he says revealed him or what he says drove him to murder so we'll get to that in just a few minutes but but this is the guy who is now serving 10 consecutive life sentences at this prison in kansas and 
One article described him as living an intensely ordinary life. Church-going guy, says he's a Christian. Um, his dad died in 1996 after retiring as a plant operator. He, dad was described as strict. He had a wife, two kids. Cruel. Yeah, I mean, this guy is normal, roundabout, just a guy. Well, but- we, we talked about the Golden State Killer, and he lived a double life, too. Yeah. Uh, father of daughters, too. In the there's a new documentary out. Um, it was revealed that while Raider's father worked long hours, mom dedicated her time to reading and watching television. Didn't give very much attention to her children. Now, a couple of weeks ago, we talked with somebody who did an entire uh, study on what causes serial killers and if there's any connection that can be made between the parental relationships that these guys had with fathers who may have been emotionally distant and mothers who were a bit overbearing now this almost sounds the opposite we don't know the great relationship that dennis Rader had with his father if there really was one but it's clear that mom wasn't involved that mom was you know sitting her fat butt in front of the tv and not paying attention to the kids Again, not to say that that is what caused this guy to be crazy you and to kill people. You know that she was a large woman? No, no, I mean that in the proverbial fat Got sense. Got it. Um, he admitted that when he was young, mom's ring got caught in a couch spring, and she couldn't get her hand out. So he says that mom was begging for her son to get help. It was then that he felt excited about watching a trapped and helpless woman looking to him in terror. Wow. Are you kidding me? That is like textbook goes back to mom and 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 the issues with mom. And the thing is, he distinctly remembers that event and, and can remember what her face looked like when she was trapped. And he got pleasure out of that. Ugh. What kind of weirdos do you... What? Well, I mean, you're the one who's like, yeah, I really like watching serial killers. This is You're sick. What, I like watching serial I'm fascinated by serial killers, and I think it does go back to the, the thinking on that of why women are so into true crime and, and this kind of stuff is because... Somewhere in our in our heads, we want to know how to avoid that, these people. Yes, and, and I've, I've heard that, and it makes some sense. I mean, you want to make sure that you never get your ring trapped in a couch cushion spring with Dennis Rader next to you. He's not going to save you. Or take a ride from Ted Bundy. Exactly. He says that he thinks it's a demon within him and that he started noticing this demon as early as in eighth grade. You started noticing his dark side. What is that, 13? 13 years old? Yeah. And and the thing is, that's the beginning of his sexual maturity. That's when you start going through puberty oh, or you're wrapping up puberty, whatever right. it is. And you start to have these uh, fantasies. And for him, I mean, for, for most people, it's probably like, I'm trying to think of 1987. Like boobs. 1980. I'm trying to think of a celebrity of 1987. Let's say Heather Locklear. And I don't mean current Heather Locklear. I like mean like Farrah Fawcett. Farrah Fawcett's a good one. Like it's your your body, your brain knows yeah. 
what and you like. And he was thinking about mom trapped in the couch. Right. That's Gross. where the that's where the cross the wires are crossed. Is that became a sexual thing for him? And he described it. He said it was in. I was probably when I was in grade school. I had some sort of problems, some sexual fantasies, probably more than normal. All males go through some kind of fantasy. Mine was just probably weirder than other people. No, not probably. Definitely. The idea that your mom is stuck in a couch and you, I mean, great, she's not going to die. It's not she's stuck all about in a threshing control, machine or something. Isn't it? It's like the mother had control over him for so long and he hated that. And then his mom gets the ring stuck in the couch and suddenly he's in the position of control and yeah. he loves it. And that's what most of this is about, I think. Now, this is the guy. You know, one of the things that made this case specifically weird is that he was writing letters to members of the media and to the police. That's eventually how they caught him was one of the floppy disks that he sent to the police came from the church office where he was working. So they tracked him down through that. But he would write in these letters to police that he began fantasizing about women in bondage scenarios way back when he was this teenager. And he tried to fit in. He joins the Air Force in 1966. He works as a mechanic for four years. He's discharged a few years later. And then he gets married. Quick marriage. And again, he's hiding all of this dark part of him from the woman that he meets in church. So we'll talk a little bit more about what he's done since then. And like you said, his blame lies squarely on a demon. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640. Gary and Shannon. Some of the big stories that we're following today. I don't know if you saw the story of the National Museum in Brazil. Massive fire broke out. Talking about part of the collection there that was destroyed. They haven't exactly come out and said what was destroyed, what was lost yet, but still hundred pe- hundreds of people have crowded at the gates of this National Museum in, Police in, in, in are Rio. Using batons, tear gas, pepper spray to hold off this crowd. It's crazy. Demanding entry into the building. I heard one of the managers was saying he was terrified of fire at this place. Every day before he would leave. He would unplug every electrical device in his office, computer, phone, everything. He would unplug everything because he was afraid of a fire. We will dive into a couple of shootings locally. Uh, San Bernardino, there was a 10 people wounded in a shootout. Apparently, nobody saw anything. Also, shots fired at Del Mar. That's an odd juxtaposition right there. We'll get into that coming up after Amy's news at the top of the hour. But right now, we are talking about the BTK serial killer. There's a new Oxygen documentary titled Snapped, Notorious BTK Serial Killer. Uh, This includes a never-before-heard interview that he gave to a local TV reporter after he confessed to the murders. The reporter's name is Larry Hatteberg. And at one point in the interview, he says to Larry, uh, Dennis Rader does, how could a guy like me, church member, raised a family... Go out and do those sorts of things. He said, I want the people of Sedgwick County, the United States and the world to know that I am a serial killer. I personally think, and I know it's not very Christian, but I actually think it's a demon that's within me. I would say that that's very Christian, actually. The the belief that there are, that there is demonic possession and that there are evil things in this world and 
They'll get into you. Now, he says that this uh, demon got into him early on. If you remember the story about seeing his mom get her hand caught, her ring got caught on a couch cushion, and she was, I mean, for all intents and purposes, she was trapped on this couch, and she started freaking out and begging her son to go get help. And he remembers that feeling that he got seeing a woman trapped begging him for help. And everything relied on him. Okay, that's a creepy thing, especially when it's your mom. Joseph Otero was Raider's first victim. He strangled Joseph to death in 1974 inside his home alongside his wife and two of their five children. Joey Otero, just nine years old, when Dennis Raider went to his bedroom and killed him. Josephine, the sister, was hanged in the basement. And those were the first two? There's a book that came out uh, a couple of years ago, Confession of a Serial Killer, the untold story of Dennis Rader, the BTK killer. Well, this is this is fascinating because it includes what he says was his plan to kill an 11th victim. He wrote three and a half pages of the book about his plans for his last kill. He wrote, this was supposed to be my opus, my grand finale. And to make it different, I would set the house on fire using propane canisters. He said he got into a woman's backyard, knocked on her door, but aborted his plan when a city street crew show, showed up uh, unexpectedly to work outside the house. Yeah, so he just all he did was put off his plans. He said, well, I'll just wait a few months and kill her in the spring. She was He was arrested in February 2005, so he was never able to accomplish this 11th murder. He had pride when he told the detectives the details of how he planned to kill this woman, this 11th victim. Now, when you're you're a detective and you start hearing the details of what this guy has planned to do, there's a question perhaps, and I don't know if it's a, a common problem that detectives, homicide detectives have to deal with, but do you tell the woman... She had no idea that she was going to be his 11th victim. Do you tell this woman that you were targeted by this guy? Authorities did tell the woman because defense attorneys for the killer had hired investigators who may have contacted her. So they decided to tell her and they said she's a pretty tough lady, but this shook her up quite a bit. As a uh, as a note, I mean, he did, like you said, wrote some of the pages of this book. A confession of a serial killer, but none of the proceeds are going to him or anything. In fact, the the author who worked on it with him, Catherine Ramsland, a forensic psychology professor, said all of the proceeds would go to the victim's family's trust fund in this case. So if they did make any money off of it, it was going to go to the victim's family. Also in 1974, Catherine Bright was attacked by this guy with a knife she tried to fight him off, but died later from her wounds. In 1977, Shirley Vian was strangled to death. Also in 1977, he broke into Nancy Fox's home, waited for her to come home before strangling her. Uh, there was a woman, Maureen Hedge, who lived on the same street as Raider. She was strangled to death in 1984. That was the woman who he posed for pictures with her body in a church basement. Is that what this is? Yeah. This weird, th- yeah. where he put the mask on her face? Yeah. Come Nin- on. You don't get creepier than that. 1987, got into Vicki Wurgel's home, posing as a repairman before strangling her to death. 
Uh, he strangled Dolores Davis to death in 1991. I, you know, he had gaps. He had gaps in his killings. That's the other thing about him that, that was unique. Not only was he communicating with uh, with police and members of the media, but that there were long stretches of time between his murders. And I think that's, you know, what took so – what allowed him to continue – his killing spree is the times in between. There was not enough of a pattern for police to center in on him, to focus in on him. So just a terrifying. And married the whole time. I mean, uh, this was a guy who was in the Air Force. He was a mechanic. He uh, met his wife in church before he started killing, had two kids. Now, the thing that drove him also uh, ended up being his downfall, being that he needed attention for this. And when he killed Nancy Fox in 1977, he called police from a payphone and gave her name and her address but didn't reveal his identity. But he did take credit for the, for the killings when he would send letters to the uh, investigators taunting them basically you're never going to be able to catch me i'm better than you are and we've seen that over and over again in these serial killers is that this is more of a a game they understand that this is a game between them and uh these police detectives so just a i guess a terrifying terrifying that the wires get crossed like that and somebody who looks completely normal on the outside family man church goer wife two kids has this other six-second life. Can it be Terrifying. that simple that, that it's just a, that nobody knew? I mean, is it that simple? Or or you somebody think, knew something about this guy, knew that he was odd and weird and just didn't want to put it together. I don't know. I mean, because think about, you know, your life and the people you know. There's some odd people in there, but you don't think they're they're uh, taking pictures it, with bodies in church basements. Probably, probably wouldn't shock you if you heard <laughs> that some of the people who you think are odd have been doing that. There's a lot of odd people out there. A lot of odd people in this building. Well, I wasn't going to say it. You could say it. Gary and Shannon will continue right after this. That's the sound of the men working on the chain. Gang. That's the sound of the men working on the chain. Gang. All day long they're saying. Gary and Shannon. Uh, Labor Day. Work songs, right, Blake? Work songs. Working on the chain gang. That's the sound of the men. We're going to get in so much trouble. Why is the door open? I don't know. <laughs> I need to shut it, though, huh? We're airing out the disease. Random it people seems like come walking through, and then I'm just after I say something really bad. Uh, I, see, I, I feel like Filterless Friday has worked its way into Monday. <laughs> well, we're the only ones here. That's it's the thing. A, Although I will say Rogan and Rodney are here. Yes. They're down the hall. They're doing their show. They care. I said, Rodney, what, what are you doing here? Don't you know who you are? <laughs> What's going on? Um, there is a uh, a bear that has been uh, tranquilized. State agents tranquilized this bear, bear. They said it's a very large black bear at Catalpa Road at Campesina Road, south of the 210, a couple of blocks east of uh, Michelinda Avenue. So you, it's Arcadia right there. Yeah. So you, uh, 
if you saw what you thought was a giant black bear, it's uh, you saw exactly that. But you know, they, this is the the time they come out from the hills. Labor Day. Yeah, because there's cooking, there's barbecuing, ah, they, and everybody knows that bears love their grilled meats. Do you well, want to go through the whole bun conversation again? No, or? we're not going to do that. If you if you want to hear us do four minutes on buns, uh, check out the podcast at the ten o'clock hour. Um, there was but another. I've got to tell you. Something. Oh, get it? Yeah, get it. You know, I uh, I am a horse racing enthusiast, right? Okay. You, I think Conway infused you with that uh, the fever. He did. Yeah. Uh, I actually moved from the beach to the foothills to be closer to Santa Anita. Smart. Um, said no one, by the way. <laughs> said no one. You're the first. But I have never stayed for the tenth race. I mean, you get in there, you want to, you want to see the first race usually, and you stay maybe to the fifth or sixth race. But as the day moves on. Those tracks get pretty gamey. I mean, it's the people that are just trying to get even. Oh, you don't you don't people. mean the, the mud, like the dirt itself. You no. mean the, the I mean atmosphere. the clientele. Even yeah. at Fancy Del Mar, you don't want to be around in the tenth race. I mean, those are that is the race of just broken dreams and uh, and too much Bud Light. Someone's got mustard on their oh. shirt. Oh, and, mustard's and everywhere. tears just welling up in their eyes. Yeah. Absolutely. And they've got everything going on the number three horse in the 10th race. Yes. And so if it that was, thing doesn't come in, they're not going home. No. No, 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 no. Got it. Okay. So this incident took place during the 10th race on Sunday at Del Mar when a man was trying to get into an Ice Cube concert or buy a ticket for the Ice Cube concert and was told that they did not have any. He does what we all do when we can't get into a concert of our dreams, and he pulled out a gun and started firing into the crowd. I don't know if everybody does that. People around my patio came running in and said there was a shooting down below, and uh, and everything just went on lockdown. They shut down everything. I was standing at the front gate, and I was, I was going to meet my son, and I was going to give him a ticket, and I just heard gunshots just ringing off, bang, 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 over and over and over again. And then I saw a guy on the ground, and the cops shot him. Why uh, would that be a good idea, the whole shooting thing? I'm not sure I understand the logic there. Was there a, was there a point to it? Was he going to get a ticket after that? I think that he was just frustrated to the point of firing into a crowd. I, I don't know. I can't, I, can't, uh, I can't describe crazy for you. Witness- and in 2018, do you really need to see Ice Cube that bad? What are you talking about? I don't know. Just because he's 57 years old doesn't mean he doesn't still have game. He's 49. Like I said, 49 years old, he can still move it. Today he was can a good still day. move it. Well, I don't know what they – I've never seen Ice Cube in concert. Nor I know that have that's I. That's going to blow your mind. But uh, um, The other shooting that took place over the weekend was in San Bernardino at an apartment complex. Uh, last night, as a matter of fact, about 1045 in uh, the 1200 block of Linwood Drive – they said that there were multiple victims down, very chaotic scene. The crowd was uncooperative. That's the biggest surprise here. We're talking about multiple weapons, multiple handguns and rifles, several people shooting. No arrests have been made. And, by the way, because no one's talking, no description of any shooter has been available. Yeah, no one saw anything because it looks like uh, there were several people to blame and all the parties are 
not going to roll on everybody else. One of the uh, one of the injured eight people, including a 17 year old boy, were shot, and this this 17 year old boy apparently might be in critical condition. Um, they said that the. Uh, by the way, why did Kamala Harris tweet about this? The senator tweeted something about how she's heartbroken over the shooting, praying for the injured. I don't understand. You know why? What, what it's because it the... sounds like it sounds like a mass shooting. When you first hear the story, oh. ten hit in a shooting in San Bernardino was the headline. Everyone runs to the gun control page, and everyone runs to Twitter. Thoughts and prayers. We need gun control, and nobody uh, nobody thinks that this is a bunch of guys playing dice that it gets out of hand. It's and just, everyone's firing. Just like that makes more sense because yeah. I was going to ask what what type of incident rises to the level of uh, garnering a tweet from a senator, a U.S. senator about it. But I guess that would that makes sense. All right. There was a, a, a tragic, tragic angle to the car fire. This was the fire that burned up in the Redding Shasta area. It's the story that we all probably remember the most when we think about that fire that ripped through the communities. It's the story of the great grandfather who was on the phone with his great grandson and telling the boy, I'm on my way, I'm on my way, knowing that he was not going to be able to get to his family. Well, we'll, we'll give you an update on, uh, on, on Grandpa when we come back to the Gary and Shannon show. Shannon, KFI AM 640. We will get to all the president's tweets because there are many coming up in Swamp Watch. Tweeting this morning, happy Labor Day. Our country's doing better than ever before with unemployment setting record lows. And he went on and on and then kind of railed against a, a union leader. So we'll get into all that coming up in Swamp Watch. Also in the uh, one o'clock hour, Jeffrey Owens, an actor who uh, appeared on The Cosby Show. Uh, Jeffrey Owens now works at Trader Joe's. And somebody snuck a picture of him and said, hey, isn't that the guy from the Cosby show? Oh, my gosh. How far he's fallen. I don't know. Just because you had a bit part on a sitcom in the 80s doesn't mean that that doesn't preclude you from working at Trader Joe's in 2018, right? And maybe maybe he likes it better than he did working on the Cosby show. Yeah, I don't think that uh, I don't think we should be shedding tears over this. Well, it actually raised a a question, what I think is a, a fun game that we can play on Labor Day, which is what's the weirdest celebrity sighting you have not not weird celebrities but just like you never expected to see somebody in that place when you were whatever mowing the lawn or most celebrity sightings are like that you know you're just how you're like having lunch and all of a sudden you look up and you're like what's he doing here but i mean in my normal life like i ran into ed asner at patty's (laughs) diner the one down down the street here but it's in burbank so yeah that's not entirely weird it's uh, you were on vacation in the Seychelles or something like that, and you ran into Barbara Walters. Yeah, I, yeah. I, have, like I have two, but one's in Burbank and one's Studio City. So it's like... Yeah, that's not... I mean, that, you know... It's it, still it, qualified. It could also be like, uh, I ran into Sylvester Stallone golfing. You just wouldn't expect that. I don't know. So we'll, we'll actually take phone calls on weird celebrity sightings in the 1 o'clock hour. Well, people, specific people, uh, come to us 
with various different news stories. People that we would have never known existed before. Uh, Ed Bledsoe was one of those people. We were introduced to Ed during the car fire. Ed Bledsoe's 76 years old. And he's the great-grandfather that was interviewed after the fire stole his family from him. He had gone to run an errand. His wife was at home with the two great-grandchildren that they were raising when the car fire moved at a ferocious pace into their area. My little grandson on the phone, he's saying, Grandpa, please, you got to come and help us. The fire's at the back door. Come and get us. I said, I'm close by, son. I'm trying to get in there. I said, I'm, uh, I'm right by you. I said, I, I said, I said, I'm right by you, honey. Just hold on. Grandpa's coming. My wife wrapped him up in wet blankets. She wet a bunch of blankets and wrapped them up in wet blankets, put them down at the side of the bed. She got a wet blanket and put it on her, got over the top of them. We laid there until the fire took them. I mean, heartbreaking. This guy gave a a handful of interviews to different media outlets and and reiterated, I mean, told the story over and over again. And even if you hear it five times, ten times, it never gets easier to listen to this guy describing what he was going through while he was literally listening to his wife and great-grandkids die. We often don't get a follow-up for people like Ed, check in on how they're doing, you know, weeks or months after their complete destruction of their life. Uh, His wife, Melody, his great-granddaughter, Emily, four years old, and James, five years old, uh, gone from his life. He says there are so many things about the day that he keeps repeating in his mind. Uh, For one thing, he said no one thought it was going to move so far so fast. Uh, For days, they had watched the smoke plumes inch closer, but the way they jumped on that day, July 26th, nobody predicted. About 5.30 that afternoon, his son decided to rake a defensive line around the property by dragging fencing and old tires behind the back of a truck. And the firefighters came and said, stop that. (laughs) Yeah, they were saying that the fencing, they were concerned, was going to hit a rock and maybe spark something. And that would would just ignite another blaze. And if you remember, when this uh, fire started back in July... Incredibly hot, very dry conditions. No, you know, no rain any time in the in the previous few months up in Reading. Seven p.m. His doctor calls, asks him to help with some handyman work. So he drives down that two lane road into town, just a few minutes away. That's when the fire tornadoes started getting bigger and bigger. Uprooting trees, tossing cars, igniting everything in their orbit. So so Ed's phone rings at about quarter after seven, and it was his wife. And she said that smoke was completely covering their property, and it was thick, and he had better get home. She had already called 911. Um, police officers were going to be on their way to help them get out of there. He headed home, uh, but was just met of a five-lane-wide wall of cars that were taking off in the opposite direction. So he gets out of his car, and he takes off on foot, hiking through the trees toward his land. Strange, because he's he's trying to avoid law enforcement. I mean, he's there to save his life, save his wife, and and... 
they know or he knows that they're not going to let him get close because then that puts his life at risk. And he says, I just went running this way and the fire wouldn't let me. He calls his wife while he's trying to get there. And she says to him, we love you. We love you. We love you. And he says, I just said, I love you, too. I'll be there. I know. Listen to this line. So she grandma, great grandma hands the phone to five year old James, who this article in the L.A. Times says he's already becoming the man of the house. Ed Bledsoe says, now listen, we've already heard this guy. We've heard his heart breaking over and over again as he tells this story. But listen to this line. He's talking to a James, five-year-old James. I just talked to him until I heard the angels come right out of him. I just talked to him until I heard the angels come right out of him. And he said, I tried running through the fire. I tried to get in. I would have laid on top of them and died rather than have them go without me. And he can't tell that story without tearing. Because nobody could tell that story without tearing up. And he said he walked around until he found firefighters and CHP officers. They drove him back down the hill. They told him his family had been rescued. He said, I don't believe you because I saw the property. And he was skeptical, but he did hold out hope. Maybe I'm wrong, he thought. Maybe the police did show up on time. Maybe they did rescue my wife and great-grandkids. He says he spends a lot of time thinking about the family, preserving their memory, a lot of time thinking about his wife saying that uh, when they were just dating, a younger couple, there was a child down the street that needed surgery, but the, the family couldn't afford it. They were in debt. Uh, and he says, my wife had 24 grand in the bank. The kid needed 21 grand for the surgery. She wrote him a check for the 24, gave it to him. The kid had the surgery and he's alive today. He says to cope with this monumental loss, he says, I think of them being on vacation and they're going to come back to me. It's the only way I can stay alive. Yeah. Bring the house down. Yeah, thanks a lot, Gary. No, no, I I said, hey, this is going to be a sad story if we tell the story about Ed Bledsoe. And you're like, yeah, it's a good story. We should tell it. Well, it, I mean, I do like the idea of seeing how people are doing. You know, you, you go through these big news stories and uh, people that are lo- have lost their loved ones or whatever, and then you kind of, the media just kind of forgets about them. So I love that the LA Times went back and checked up on this guy and, and hopefully he's got a support system. I mean, I don't, I don't know what support system gets you through losing your family like that, especially being on the phone with the little guy you're, you're, you're supposed to be protecting. And I, I don't know how you Go on. Uh, I'm, I'm curious to know. I mean, I don't need to know the personal details of why it is that great-grandma and grandpa are taking care of the kids. But I wonder what sort of um, a, a different, more special relationship may develop because of that. You know, because of the age. They're in their 70s, and they're taking yeah. care of four- and five-year-olds. Yeah. And he used to take them to school every day. And so I have something to cheer you up. Okay, please. L.A. Mayor Eric Garcetti. He's planned a presidential swing around Ohio. Oh, my God. Dear Governor Kasich. Does somebody... I apologize. Does somebody who can't 
win statewide office in their own state do well when it comes to a presidential race? When that state is California? Because Eric Garcetti doesn't, I I mean, if you're a liberal, I know you love him um, and he's a nice guy. He's absolutely a nice guy. But he doesn't have any name recognition outside of Southern California. And he's starting to piss people off in Southern California for spending so many days outside of Southern California. And I wonder I wonder if his plan for 20-second hugs for all of his campaign donors is going to work. I don't, I don't think so. I don't think anybody's ever really tried the feelings route, but we'll see. We'll talk about Eric Garcetti when we come back. Gary and Shannon will continue. I ain't working here no more. Shannon, did you hear about this crash on the Colorado River yesterday? A boat carrying 10 people and another with six on board collided head-on Saturday night. More than a dozen people were ejected. Authorities now saying they found the body of a woman who was among four people missing. Mm, so there's still three more. That they're looking for. It's crazy, crazy. Um, the president, uh, busy with Twitter once again today, doesn't take Labor Day off, that's for sure. So we'll talk at 1230 when we get into Swamp Watch. More about some of the uh, tweets from today. Um, <clears throat> Mayor Garcetti is uh, still still delivering his uh, State of the City address, and I can't believe that it's going. Thank you all. There it is. Good morning, everyone. Okay. <laughs> still delivering the State of the City. Every year, when did that I think start? about the best place March? we can gather for this occasion. <laughs> A place that's- All right, we'll just we'll dip into that if we have to. I'm but, not ready for nap time. So <laughs> Mayor Garcetti uh, is now being considered one of the most generous political donors we've ever. <laughs> well, his political action committee donated a hundred thousand uh, dollars to register African American voters in South Carolina. Okay. Uh, Trav Robertson is the chairman of the South Carolina Democratic Party. He says Garcetti was the first elected mayor to do something like this. But you know what? It's not. It's not like out of the goodness of his heart. It's self-serving. It's totally self-serving, and that's what I think is the frustrating part about the uh, the looking at Eric Garcetti and think, "Oh my gosh, the heart on this guy! It's so warm. He is the Mister Huggy Mayor. He just wants to wrap you and hug you and count to twenty in your ear quietly." He's planned a string of appearances in Ohio next week. Sorry, Ohio. He's going to stop in Cincinnati, Cleveland, and Columbus. And he's going to wow them with speeches. Who are here with us today. Please clap. Thank you, Mark. And the two women in my life who are not here today, mm-hmm. one stuck on a tarmac, mm-hmm. your first lady, Amy Elaine Wakeland, and one stuck at school, our beloved Maya. Can we talk? Oh, uh, stop that. Yes. Your first lady? Yeah. Come on. Well, I mean, technically she is, right? I mean, that's yeah, the... Yeah, but give me a break. He's going to be, like you said, Cincinnati, Cleveland, Columbus starting on Thursday. He is trying to work with party volunteers to rally voters ahead of the midterm elections. Speaking at a fundraiser also for Senator Sherrod Brown, 
A statement said that the mayor wants to hear from residents and mayors about the challenges they face and and how we can all work together because diversity and diversification are the, the diversified word salad. Word salad. Word salad. Continue to think big. To go after what seems unreachable. Like getting the presidential nod as Eric Garcetti. Power doesn't exist. It's right here. It's right here. In our hands. Right now. See, and I think that what he, he, running, 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 it's like Kamala Harris, always running, running, running. (laughs) Whatever happened to just like staying in one job and uh, making some real work? Well, the criticism against Eric Garcetti is he's not paying attention to the little things. I, I mean, if you look at... The president, what what the job of the president is, uh, is taking a nationwide and oftentimes international approach to solving problems. There are problems in Eric Garcetti's backyard that have not even been looked at by this mayor. Uh, A lot of people talk about, uh, you know, he said he wanted to solve homelessness in this, you know, in his term. And nothing, nothing has come well, out of and that. You know what? When you think big like that, you really screw yourself. Because when he said that on the steps of City Hall, we're going to solve homelessness, it's just not feasible. It's not realistic. It's unicorn land. It's the same land the Democrats in, in Sacramento live in with the bullet train and all this crap. It sounds great, but when you actually start crunching the numbers and, and get, get into the X's and O's, it's not reasonable. And so you can't get out there and say, I'm going to solve homelessness and then not have hell to pay for that when Skid Row is expanded to Skid Grid on your watch. You know, he was in uh, Phoenix in June and he he told the audience at a Democratic Party fundraiser, uh, Arizona will be a Democratic state again. How much time do you think he spent in Arizona talking to real people? Real people? Yeah. Uh, Outside of a Democratic fundraiser. Right. Not very much. What the hell does he know about Arizona? He knows that it's hot. Think about it for a moment, what we're doing here in Los Angeles. Diversifying. Since I took office, employment has soared to new heights with jobs building new and expanded rail like the Expo Line, raising up buildings like the Wilshire Grand, and breaking ground on new landmarks like the Lucas Museum. It's Los Angeles. What do you expect to happen? Like, we're not going to have new buildings? It doesn't matter who the hell the mayor is. You can't take credit for, like, a hotel going up downtown. or an. You know, we we should have the expo line 500 years ago. Yeah, that would make sense. I mean, come on. These are the wrong victory laps to take. And just just like the world's greatest athletes we will do in 2028, we're going to keep breaking records on everything from the number of streets we pave to the number of visitors who come to explore our city on those streets. Which is ironic because there's an, a belief perhaps in his head that who the mayor is determines whether or not we have a, 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 a good tourism industry, a robust tourism industry, and that's not the case. Nobody came to Los Angeles because they wanted to see James Hahn as the mayor of Los Angeles. <clears throat> he, by the way... The, the L.A. Times has sued the city to try to get information about who is paying for the mayor's security detail. Don't forget, he's the mayor of the second largest city in the country. He has a security detail. And the LAPD has a couple of office, uh, officers that travel with him wherever he goes. Uh, so who's paying for them? Is it the party that would pay for them if he's there to meet Democratic Party officials and raise money for the Democratic Party? Uh, nobody's saying so if you want 
the 13-week State of the City address is still going. five years of holding ourselves accountable. Mm. Thinking big is, is definitely the problem the there. Thinking big. Thinking big. Saying you're going to cure homelessness. Saying that Arizona is going to be democratic state. It's just too big for your britches there. You, know, you want to go to a swing state and say, hey, I think we can bring this, this state home for the Democrats. It's one thing. With the leaders you see up here and the workers who are out there, city Can we stop this? Sorry. I mean, I'm already at work on Labor Day. Why are you trying to torture me? All right, we've got a scandal going on in Sacramento. Uh-oh. Is this another one of those uh, sexual harassment things? Uh, it depends on what you're into. Groping people I mean, at a softball game? I mean, if you game? and your wife do this for fun, mm-hmm. uh, I guess it could fall into that category. Interesting. I'm listening. I'll tell you more when we return. Gary and Shannon, KFI AM 640, devastating fire at the Brazil's National Museum in Rio. A lot of it lost. Uh, Apparently, the museum was so strapped for cash that it turned to crowdfunding to reopen an an exhibition. They tried to get like $7,000 on crowdfunding sites. To rebuild a base that held a 13-yard-long dinosaur skeleton. Wow. Anyway, so uh, people outside that museum desperate to get in and see exactly what was lost but doesn't look good. Joe Biden is back in the news. Apparently, uh, a lot of people want him to throw his hat in for 2020. There's a story from a flight from Washington to New York where a string of passengers stopped at a seat and coach to deliver the same message. Run, Joe, run. <laughs> I, I read that book. I just think he's too old. I don't he does. Know I saw some video this morning of him. He's got like aviators on, mm-hmm. but he just looks done. Yeah. I mean, not with life, but just in terms of a presidential campaign, he does not have it in him. I don't think he's got the energy for it. No. <clears throat> um, a couple shootings that we're keeping our eyes on, too. The shooting in San Bernardino at an apartment complex. Multiple weapons, multiple shooters, they're saying. Uh, but also very few witnesses coming forward. There, Nobody was killed, but there were at least a couple of people who were in critical condition. And then the uh, shooting at the Del Mar racetrack, not funny. But the guy couldn't get tickets to Ice Cube, so he opened fire. Quick gas, so. go around. Oh. No? Is this bad taste? No, I don't think so. Not on Labor Day. Uh, he wanted to get into Ice Cube that badly. What concert do you want to get into that badly? That if they were if they were sold out and you were strapped, you would pull out your gat and peel a couple caps. <laughs> Blake. Hmm. Had to see it. Is it Had that Christian it girl, that singer? No. Lauren no, Daigle? No. I met her. We're good. Okay. Oh, listen to you. Um done oh, with her now. I'm trying to think of So fickle. You know? I don't know. I like I've seen most of the people I really want to see. I don't know. Probably Thomas Rhett. I really like Thomas Rhett a lot. All right. I can see that. He's got a great dad too. Nick? Um 
I can't really think of one either, but I would. I've I've always wanted to see uh, Roger Waters do the wall. Ooh, interesting. That would be pretty cool. Yeah. All right, Amy, you're at the box office, and they tell you, "Sorry, folks, Musa Front should have told you." Your hand on that gat, and you're ready. Yep. Okay, so like the guys, I think I've seen most of the ones that I want to see, but there might be a couple of classic ones I haven't seen. So I would say uh, the Eagles. Okay. That's a great show. Yes. I saw yeah. the Eagles at the Hollywood Bowl. <gasps> oh, oh what my a great God. Place to it see was it. Oh, my incredible. God. Um, I would say probably Fleetwood Mac if I hadn't seen them. I have seen them, but if it was like the first time I was going and they said, sorry, ma'am, the moose outside should have told you, <laughs> uh, probably fire off a couple into a crowd. If not Fleetwood Mac, then definitely Fierce Brosnan, local band. Thank you. And Fleetwood Mac doesn't even have Lindsey Buckingham right That's now. Right? Yeah, you know what? Don't so you go. Know what? Until, you know, he's going to come back. Like, yeah. he's got to come back. Those two are just full of drama, and you need to see it play out on stage. And that exactly. Fierce Brosnan has that guy Jacob, and I heard he got some, like, blood on the ground at one of their last shows. Fierce Brosnan is uh, intense. lit. <laughs> uh, Otis Redding is the correct answer, by the way. Is Redding still alive? No. I think it's funny that, like, we all went nothing really current except for Fierce. Like, everybody was like, there's not anybody current. That Thomas be... Rhett's current? Well, eh. okay. Yeah. But I've seen him, so I really am good. And I like that we're referring to them now as Fierce. Sure. Yeah. Keep going. <laughs> well, there have been a lot of problems in Sacramento as part of the uh, hashtag MeToo movement. A lot of problems that have been unearthed. This is asinine. Well, uh, Senator John Morlock. You know John. He was an Orange County supervisor. Fun guy. Yes. Uh, just a, a good time guy. And an investigation into an allegation of him of misconduct. Yeah, a, a legitimate formal compa- uh, complaint, a legitimate investigation into the complaint has ensued. And wait till you hear what it's all about. Noogies. Now, by noogie, I think you're you're using it in in sort of the common vernacular where I put you in a pseudo headlock mm-hmm. and with my knuckles rub the top of your scalp. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised you haven't done that to me before. <laughs> it's because I don't know how to give a light headlock. <laughs> I don't know. Uh but there was a woman who actually filed a formal complaint that he delivered an unwelcome noogie while posing for a photo. So there is a photo making the rounds that does not involve the woman in question. It's a different woman he's giving a noogie to. And the uh, caption is, Senator Morlock giving me a noogie, but it's okay because it was for the students. Uh, I guess it was some sort of event for the students. But it's like... The, the picture that's making the rounds because of this other formal complaint. The Senate Rules Committee has weighed in and urged him to discontinue the practice, saying... I urge you to discontinue... The noogies. Driving to noogie town. This is how stupid we are. Um, the, the Senate Rules Committee concluded, after its lengthy <laughs> investigation, that the behavior, while not sexual in nature, was clearly unwelcome. <clears throat> he... God bless him, had to sit down with investigators and talk about this, telling them uh, uh, that he frequently engages in noogies. I cannot imagine what that conversation was like. I'd be so pissed. He said in a statement, because another 
portion of what makes this absolutely ludicrous is that he felt like he had to put out a statement. Right. I am a fun-loving individual who is guilty of occasional playfulness. I apologize for giving a noogie, in quotes, to someone who requested a photo. It was done during a lighthearted moment with others present. However, I will discontinue this innocent and gregarious behavior in the future. <laughs> Could you imagine if Robin called you into the office and sat you down? And Yeah, uh, and then there's also somebody in the office, like two people from the HR right. department that we've never seen right, before. Right, and they're wearing boxy blazers. Yes. And maybe, like, their shirt's untucked, at least one side of it. And you're like, or who what? the hell are those people? Or why is the shirt untucked? Yeah. And then they say... Um, I want you to take so a what, close look at this picture. What's up with the... Is this you? Is this you, Mr. Hoffman? Is this you giving your coworker a nugi? <laughs> no, no. Actually, it's pronounced noogie. I know. <laughs> and then you have to... What do you have to say for yourself? What do I have to... Blake and I were screwing around and I gave him a noogie. I think you mean Nuji. No, that you guys are getting it all wrong. You're misunderstanding and you're mispronouncing. But like treating it like it's a federal case. Right. You know, and, and it's just so embarrassing because it does come on the heels of all these legitimate sexual harassment things swirling around the Capitol. Right. And suddenly you're being made to be in the criminal pit because yeah. of noogies. Yeah. So you so if anybody has this conversation and they're like, yeah, Matt DeBobney, boy, what a dirtbag. Oh, and what about John Morlock? He noogied people. Yeah. It's just unfortunate. It's ridiculous is what it is. The fact that there would be a formal investigation. And that there's nobody on that Senate Rules Committee who at some point said something like, what What the the hell hell are are we doing? doing? It's pretty good right there. We should be on the Senate Rules Committee. (laughs) All right. When we come back, we're going to get into our trending stories and a good TV girl fight. Real quick. (gasps) Real quick. Yes. Were you insinuating that Shannon could get me into the headlock necessary to properly execute a noogie? No. Oh, good. Shannon, there's some music I wish stayed in the 80s. This is not one of the selections. Exactly. This should be played all years. All years. Yep. (laughs) At the bottom of the hour, we are going to get into uh, Swamp Watch, talk about what's going on in Washington, D.C. And apparently, uh, uh, President Trump is now really happy with Ted Cruz. Will you take video of this? No. Because my phone's not in the room. Uh, Nick is balancing a balloon. Listen, dumb <laughs> things happen when you make us come to work on holidays. Yes. Just dumb things. Oh, in that vein, yes. uh, we did an Instagram live video. We had a concert in our office this morning. Yeah, who knew? It was so peaceful. It was wonderful. It was really nice. I really think that we should have music every Monday. You got to tell Nick to bring in his guitar then every Monday. Every Monday, Nick. Musical Mondays. Just bring a little amp and leave it in the corner for whenever it strikes you. You just plug that thing in and just start strumming. 
Um, there were uh, a couple of things that we'll keep an eye on, including the uh, the boat crash in uh, Havasu, right near Havasu, on the Colorado River. The They did recover one body this morning. They're still looking for three others. The crash itself took place late Saturday night, uh, or after dark probably on Saturday, not necessarily late at night. There were 16 people on board two boats, and four of them went missing, it appears, were killed. One of the bodies was recovered, so there's still three missing this morning. Boating is not something to mess around with. Not on the river, not at mm, night. Never, I mean, it's, it's never. Especially if you've been drinking at all. Yep. It's... Uh, there are reports circulating about a possible explosion along the Jersey Shore. Uh, in the past half hour, authorities have responded to an area near Casino Pier in Seaside Heights, uh, social media says people heard a loud noise of some kind, but again, uh, details very sketchy out of there. Hey, what else is going on? Time for What's Happening. Well, Molly Tibbetts' father has come out and is upset with people who are using Molly Tibbetts' death for political reasons. Now, I'm not sure I, I necessarily get, well, how about this? Rob Tibbetts can say whatever the hell he wants. Rob Tibbetts lost his daughter, and I think with that comes, just like we were talking about Meghan McCain, she could say whatever she wants at her father's funeral. It's it's her dad. It's her dad who's lying in that box. And in Rob's case, it's his daughter that, that was killed. Now, Donald Trump Jr. came out with a tweet um, that, that criticized, it was an opinion piece, actually, that criticized the media and the Democrat part, Democratic Party for not playing up the immigration status of Molly Tibbetts' suspected killer. And he wrote, despite what some Democrats may wish in the depths of their hearts, Molly was murdered by an illegal alien, and her murder would never have happened if we policed our southern border properly. And Rob Tibbetts came out and said, listen, you cannot use my daughter's death in support of views she believed were profoundly racist. And as much as he wants to say that and has every right to say that, Donald Trump Jr. has every right to use that death and the circumstances around it to argue politics in this, to argue immigration policy. It's not necessarily wonderful. It's not, but it's it's the reality of it. And I think that's it's poor um, opinion writing on both of their parts, probably. We told you about the, the movie First Man. It's getting a lot of press for award season. Ryan Gosling is playing Neil Armstrong. And uh, Buzz Aldrin has something to say about the movie. Uh, there was a decision made by the director not to show the planting of the American flag on the moon during that 1969 mission. And Aldrin, who is now 88 years old, the second man to step on the moon, posted historical photos of the flag planting last night, adding the hashtag, proud to be an American. Armstrong, by the way, of course, died back in 2012 at 82, but he's a subject of the movie. And Ryan Gosling playing him talked about the decision not to show the flag planting scene. He said the decision was deliberate because the moon landing, quoting here, transcended countries and borders. I wonder if Ryan Gosling had any input in that, because that doesn't seem like even if you're the lead actor, that doesn't necessarily mean you get to say whether or not that scene is in there. I don't I don't agree with that. I don't agree that put that keeping that scene out then makes it a more universal thing. That's the iconic picture. 
of, yeah, of and the I, moon you know, landing. I, I, and I'm just wondering if there's a sentiment in Hollywood right now that people are embarrassed to be American because they don't like the president. It's possible. It's stupid, but it's possible. Because to, to remove that image of him planting the flag, I don't understand how that – you. that's like um, – I don't know that I, I can't think of the, yeah, the it, allegory, but it takes away one of the incredibly iconic moments from what was a worldwide phenomenon just because it's an American flag. Like the Iwo Jima statue. That's a great, yes, that's also a great example. All right. If you're a gambler, listen to this or actually don't. This is not good for you. You should turn down the radio for 45 seconds. <laughs> There is a woman in New Jersey who made a $10 bet, spun the wheel, and got $2.5 million, hit the jackpot. She was at the uh, Borgata Hotel, Casino, and Spa in Atlantic City. The Wheel of Fortune Double Sapphire Gold Spin Game. And everybody knows that the Wheel of Fortune Double Sapphire Gold Spin Game is notoriously tightwad. I'm the fever right now. No, you're not. Uh, Yes, I am. Talk about a way to end the summer. This is from a tweet from Borgata. Uh, a Just after 3 p.m., a Hawthorne, New Jersey woman hit the progressive jackpot on the Wheel of Fortune Double Sapphire Gold Spin Game. $10 bet on her first spin. $2,481,940.75. This is why I gamble. <laughs> because... Because that woman in Hawthorne, New Jersey uh, won $2.5 That's yes. why you gamble? Well, I have a debt of gratitude to... Whoever arranged for this explosion. (laughs) This was an 18-wheeler driving on the I-35 through Belton, Texas, about 60 miles north of Austin, when the driver sees a fire in his rearview mirror. He pulls over to the shoulder, detaches the trailer from the truck. The trailer explodes. Inside this trailer, bottles of Axe body spray. Gone. (laughs) Wiped from the planet. How can we do this more often? I have no idea. How can we ignite trailers full of Axe body spray so that we are washing the planet from this? You know what I realized? I, I thought about this the other day. My son uh, my son has gone through the majority of his teenage years, because he's still got a couple left, without ever using a, bo- a box, a, an Axe body spray product. That's excellent. Never once. And I've and I've I've never realized how much I care for him now. <laughs> Until this Until moment, just this moment. Do you want to call him in the break He's and tell probably, him how proud you are? I was working. noting to Nick at the gym. It's grown men, and the locker yeah. room still smells like Axe body spray. That's I, the worst. I, I mean, don't you know. I mean, I understand if you're 13 or 14, and yeah, when I was in middle school and high school, I hated it too, and I never used it either. Right, but I can and I get hated it. the smell. But then you got to grow up and, and realize that. But when you're 30, way. 40 years old, what are you doing? <laughs> they said that spray cans were launched in oh, both directions man. of I-35 because of this giant, bizarre fireworks display. And somewhere, somewhere. Uh, Bros all over the world were crying. Tom Brady seems to me to be a grown man that would wear a body spray. I don't know if his trainer would approve it, though. There's probably some sort of chemical in there that isn't good for his diet. <laughs> it's not good for his magic underpants. Yeah. Coming up next, don't we all love it when television personalities snap? Don't we all love it when we will hear the rare fight between anchor 
and co-anchor. Love it. Gary's- Remember that there was a okay. I'll find it during the break. There was a really great one here in Los Angeles. Yes, I know exactly what you're talking about. You have a couple of pops, and then you come in here and. That one where he accuses her of being drunk? Yes. yes. I'm going to get the audio. Gary and Shannon will continue just a moment. I thought you were talking to me right there. No, for a no. I was, <laughs> it's a little too close to home. Gary and Shannon, President Trump escalating his feud with Jeff Sessions, tweeting today that investigations of two very popular Republican congressmen were brought to a well-publicized charge just ahead of the midterms by the Jeff Sessions Justice Department. It's not good. We'll get into more of that at uh, Swamp Watch. The of course, of the one hour. of those people is Duncan Hunter. Oh, really? Yeah. I don't know uh, if you want to back that horse. <laughs> uh, Ted Cruz is also uh, somebody who's getting the president's attention. Remember, he called him Lion Ted forever. Sure. And now he says he's the biggest fan, and he's planning a big rally for Ted Cruz he in the said, uh, race for Senate. Yeah, he said he was going to find the biggest stadium in Texas. Mm. And I'm thinking, you're no. not going to fill up Jerry's Palace. I, Are you? I don't know. <laughs> for Ted Cruz? Well, for Ted Cruz, maybe not. I don't know. Well... We've been around uh, television newsrooms in smaller markets. And if you're, you know, if you're San Luis Obispo, Santa Barbara, Modesto, Redding. Cut. Somewhere. Throat. All the way to the top. And it's the thing because that's a, nobody wants to end there. Nobody, that's a stepping stone. So you get young, aggressive uh, potentially backstabbing and duplicitous people working in small market television. It's, Sometimes it's it's just you, it's how you pay your dues. You right. know, a couple years in Terre Haute, and then maybe you get to go to Fresno, and then maybe Sacramento, and then maybe Los Angeles. That kind of a thing, right? So it looks like these two women uh, are on that track in West Virginia. Uh, we want to introduce you to uh, to Chelsea and Erica. Chelsea is the meteorologist at WSAZ. WSAZ in, in West Virginia. And Erica is the is the news anchor. Well, Erica is out on the town with her husband, Donald. They're in Charleston. And they're having cocktails. And Chelsea walks in. Hmm. Chelsea, the weather girl. Chelsea begins flirting with Donald. That, by the way, is totally condescending. I shouldn't say weather girls. I should say meteorologists. You're such a chauvinist. I'm a, a horrible person. I almost just said masochist. That was the wrong word. <laughs> it's Labor Day. Sometimes I am, Shannon. <laughs> okay. Sometimes I am. Uh, so they run, into, uh, they run into Chelsea when they're out on the town, and Chelsea begins flirting with the husband. Hey, girl. Or guy. guy. Uh, but he says, no, girl, no. Now, the two ladies already, you can imagine there's a competition there. Chelsea they're, and Erica Chelsea are, and Erica are fighting already, it out already. Yeah. I mean, because they're, you know, competing. Even though one may be a weather girl and one may be the news anchor, there's, there's just competition there. Both brunette, both about the same age. Now, so, this is where it gets a little dirty, shall we say? Mm-hmm. 
because Chelsea, the meteorologist slash weather girl, takes her purple hooter and throws it at the meteorologist. No, that is the meteorologist. Lunges at Erica, the news anchor. They both stumble and fall near the bartender's station at the restaurant. It's not a good look. Yes. Erica, the anchor, was rushed to the hospital. Apparently, she had a fractured skull and her eardrum was ruptured. What? Now, these girls are about 100 pounds each. Maybe. Maybe. That's if they're wearing their microphones. Mm. I want to see a picture of this Donald character. Is he worth it? Is yeah, that what you you're know, asking? I'm going to Google. I'll look at him for social media. What's if, his last name? Well, it must if, be uh, Bivens. Yeah, if they do Donald have the same Bivens. name. Yeah. I mean, if he's a, a hot dish, maybe he's worth a fractured skull. Worth a fractured skull. They were at uh, for the Girl Nights Out cel- Girls Night Out celebration held at the Charleston Civic Center that night, and uh, <laughs> Donald mentioned to Erica about what had just happened and with Chelsea. So Erica went and confronted Chelsea. Erica said that Chelsea then became irate and began to shove Erica, causing them both to fall over in the bar area. That's according to the police report. That was uh, that was put together. You find anything? Uh, not really. Well, it brings to mind this classic from right here in Los Angeles. Our friends Paul Moyer and Ann Martin in between the commercial breaks. By the way, this is exactly why we don't record what goes on in our commercial breaks. Then we better talk about it. You hear me complaining about it? Then we better talk about it. Tonight I'm complaining because tonight I said, Then we better talk about it because I think you've got a problem. I think we've got a problem, mm-hmm. all right? If that's what you think, then we'll talk about it after the show, and we'll talk about it with Roger Bell. Because I'm not, not going to say that night after night and put up with this sh- Whoa! Okay? Paul. Night after night? Night after night? Well, Where, that, what, it looks to I, me like that's the way it's going to go, I'll Ann. take the ante up a little higher than that. Ooh. You're not only wrong, you're way out of line. Let me tell you something. You kiddo. started it, pal. You want kiddo. Green, you might Listen. get him. I'm fine with me. Good old Harold Green. Okay, you want to start dealing with Go ahead. Listen, kiddo. That's what you want. I love this. You just might get What are they stamping? Are they like rejected, yeah, rejected? The, the papers. You, know, you go home and have a couple of shooters, and I don't know what the f- happens, but when you come back, you're not the same lady. That's not true. <laughs> Some nights it is, Ann. Some nights it is, Ann. I mean, Ann. Yes. <laughs> that is great. Yes. Have you ever gotten Harold Green? Good old oh. Harold Green. Good old Harold Green. Hey, have you ever gotten into a fight with a coworker? That yeah. was real. That was real. Yeah. That they didn't know was real. Or no, 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 you... no. That was a real fight like this one. On the air or off the air? Oh boy. Off the air. Uh, I've done some on the air. Yeah. Oh really? Sure. I mean, nothing that I would ever swear like that. I mean, Paul Moyer all of a sudden turned into a potty mouth. Are you talking about fights with handles? You have yes. a couple of shooters, and I don't know what the f*** happens, but when you come back, you're not the same lady. That's not true. Some nights it Some is, nights it is Shannon. <laughs> I was looking up... Uh, I was looking up Ann Martin and went how long she was there. They paid her $1.7 million a year. Whoa. Uh, when she went to KCBS. Good gig. <laughs> it's insanity. All right, we come back. We're going to get into Swamp Watch, talk about DC stuff and politics. Sunday morning, Emma, and Sunday pass on by. I'll be working here forever, at least until I die. Damn if you do, damn if you 
living because I'm working for a living. Gary and Shannon, happy uh, Labor Day. Monday, September 3rd. Are we going to take Labor Day stories? Of what would the Labor Day story be? I don't know, like a guy out there in the valley pouring pavement Mm. for 36 years. And he's got to work on Labor Day. And he's got to work on Labor Day. And then he's got to go home and man the grill. Mm. And he has to man the grill? That's relaxing. Are you kidding? Oh, is that what that is? Something about that is just absolutely relaxing. All right. Um, Actually, next hour... We're going to talk about the shaming of Jeffrey Owens. Jeffrey Owens, a Cosby Show actor, who was he's now got a job at Trader Joe's. And uh, this has created a weird controversy over the weekend that somebody, you know, like they they found him. And this is uh, either a shameful existence that he's fallen so far to work at Trader Joe's or, hey, look at that guy. He understands the, uh, the value of staying busy. So good for him. I don't know. But we're going to talk about the weirdest celebrity sightings that we've had. Okay. So, 1230, mm. we talk all things Washington, and we call it Swamp Watch. Okay. Drain the swamp. We're going to drain the swamp of Washington. We're going to have fun doing it. We're all doing it together. Swamp Watch. Okay, so we have detailed for you several times now the charges against Representative Duncan Hunter, that massive 47-page indictment that came out that showed that Duncan Hunter and his wife were spending all sorts of campaign money on personal things. Uh, Then there's Representative Chris Collins, uh, who has been indicted on insider trading in New York. I didn't realize it, but Duncan Hunter and Chris Collins are the first two Republicans that endorsed Trump in the presidential primaries. And now both indicted on separate charges. President took to Twitter today to say that the investigations of two very popular Republican congressmen were brought to a well-publicized charge just ahead of the midterms by the Jeff Sessions Justice Department. And then he went on to say, two easy wins now in doubt because there's not enough time. Forget about Good, the oh, insider that, trading and the, in the campaign funds thing. Don't forget this. Good job, Jeff. Do you think that the president thinks that this goes on all the time and that Jeff Sessions, Justice Department, is just nitpicking people that are supporting the president? I assume that's what he – I mean, that's what that tweet sounds like. But Because if you don't think that, then – you're ignoring the fact that these two guys have been not playing by the rules. Right. Um, he goes on to say uh, the Democrats, none of whom voted for Jeff Sessions, must love him now. Same thing with Lion James Comey. The Dems all hated him, wanted him out, thought he was disgusting until I fired him. Immediately he became a wonderful man, a saint-like figure, in fact. What? Really sick. That's what it, uh, I don't know. I don't know what we're doing here. Isn't it time for a barbecue? <laughs> it's time for a barbecue. Why do you ask? Um, I mean, isn't it a day to just get off Twitter? It's, and yes. Enjoy the sunshine. Doesn't he have somebody there who could grill something up for him? Somebody grill something up for the man. Somebody get the man a burger. And he doesn't drink a beer, so get him a near beer or O'Doul's or whatever it is. You know what? Side note. Go on. I would rather have a Diet Coke or a lemonade or anything than a near beer. Than a near beer 
or an O'Doul's. What's the point? Nick, put that in our notebook. That if we ever have an option for near beer or O'Doul's, Shannon would rather have anything else. Copy. He's got to keep track I mean, what, of personality. What's really the point of that? I don't know. Um, so tomorrow is going to be a big day in Washington because tomorrow we begin the hearings for Brett Kavanaugh, the latest Supreme Court nominee. And there are a lot of people who are using this as an opportunity to shed uh, to shine the spotlight on Diane Feinstein. And mostly this is this is being drummed up by people who are supporting Kevin de Leon in their uh, or his race to unseat her in the Senate. This is going to be an interesting look at what has become of politics in the age of President Trump, where there's an expectation of Democrats like Dianne Feinstein to ramp up their rhetoric to stay as loud as the president is. They, they're saying that they want her and other Democrats to use these confirmation hearings for Brett Kavanaugh to hammer him on issues from executive authority to women's health care to abortion Why rights waste to gun control. Time? Why waste the time doing that? I mean, they don't even need any of the Democrats. Well, here, the thing is that Dianne Feinstein may see this as an opportunity to drown out the calls for her to be more aggressive, perhaps. But that's not Dianne Feinstein's personality. She's a grandmother. And I know that that's I'm not saying grandmothers can't be aggressive, but she's always been a collegial, calm person on these uh, Senate committees. I don't think it's going to change now. But if you've got people like um, Neil Sroka as a spokesman for Democracy for America, they endorse Kevin DeLeon. His comment, if Senator Feinstein doesn't hold Kavanaugh's feet to the fire and hold Republicans' feet to the fire for the ram job that they're trying to push here, it is to her detriment in a Senate race. She's she's not going to change her personality just to prove to you, Neil, that, uh, that she's strong on whatever issue you want her to be strong on. One of the names swirling around 2020, and we told you about this on Friday, but it's just gotten louder over the weekend, John Kerry. John Kerry did an interview with CBS News. Of course, he represented Massachusetts in the Senate for 28 years, Secretary of State during Obama's second term. And when asked whether he might run for the White House in 2020, he did not say no. So that's fueling all the fire. He said, I'm, I'm really not thinking about it. Talking 2020 right now is a total distraction and waste of time. What we need to do is focus on 2018. <laughs> By the way. Tweet, tweet, tweet. What do you think he just tweeted? Sit back, relax, and enjoy my tweets. Just about uh, 12 o'clock, the president tweeted, I see that John Kerry, the father of the now terminated Iran deal, is thinking of running for president. I should only be so lucky, although the field that is currently assembling really looks good for me. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> uh, I love it. <laughs> this is it's, it's just it's still humorous, it's still humorous. All right, more Swamp Watch when we come back. We have uh, one of the president's aides who apparently taped all White House conversations. I'll tell you who that is. Let me guess.
is Cher. It is Cher. Singing about the Me Too issues. There's a tension in this song. You don't know what it's like. Apparently. You know what it's like to be a woman. Have pastors grab you. Um, at the top of the hour, we're going to update that story out of New Mexico. If you remember the uh, compound where they found the five adults and the kids with no electricity, no running water, and then they eventually found the body of a three-year-old as well. Well, we cannot uh, gloss over the fact that uh, this was clearly a terrorist training camp. I mean, their own writings and the FBI investigation into the kids shows that this is exact. They were training the kids to kill law enforcement, teachers, etc. And uh, it's been written up in a weird way that they were just like a camping family. They were off the grid. We'll tell you why we we know more about what was really going on in that camp coming up at the top of the hour. Omarosa secretly recorded all the conversations she had in the White House, including the conversations she had with all of the Trumps. Have you been recording our conversations? No comment. She carried two devices, a government-issued phone... And a personal one. That's the one she would record on. This is according to a source who talked to the Post about how she was able, how the source was able to witness Omarosa make many of the recordings. Makes perfect sense now when you think about it, because the description or the uh, the phone call that she had with the president, if you remember, after she was let go by John Kelly, where he said, "Hey, you know, I didn't, I didn't know this was happening. It wasn't my call to have you fired." It was just bizarrely crystal clear, the recording itself. But this makes sense now. So she went into the White House role knowing that she was going to have a book deal coming out of this thing, no matter what happened with the relationship. It's interesting how they both used each other, right? How it seems like the president put her in a post to make his uh, administration look more diverse. And she was using him for the book deal that was going to come out of this gig. Disgusting, because she says, in Trump world, everyone lies. Everyone says one thing one day, and they change their story the next day. I wanted to have this type of documentation so that in the event I found myself in this position where, as you said, you're quest- they are questioning my credibility, saying they never discussed the N-word tape, they had never heard these accusations, the president had never heard these accusations, when in fact, this tape proves that they discussed it at high levels of the Trump campaign um, goes on to that specifically about whether or not he used the N-word while they were taping the, the Apprentice. But if you think that everyone lies in the administration where they say one thing one day and change their story the next, why do you accept a job with them? Because doesn't, she knew she was going to make money off of it. So doesn't that make you just as bad as the people you're accusing of acting poorly? I wonder how many people are taping conversations. That went into this administration knowing that it was unlike any other in in the past and and dealing with this family that's unlike any other. And how many people wanted to have their conversations with the Trumps documented. It's like James Comey, right, taking notes with every conversation he had with the president because he knew that at one point it would be a he said, he said kind of situation. Well, this I don't know if this was a result of Omarosa um, necessarily violating rules, but Chief of Staff John Kelly instituted a ban on personal cell phones in the White House 
in the West Wing between 6 a.m. and 8 p.m. on weekdays. I assume to protect against just this sort of uh, sort of thing happening. But uh, House Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy from up in the central part of the state is uh, now leading the charge against the bigwigs in the tech industry in Silicon Valley. He has been promoting a campaign to stop the bias. If you remember, the president uh, has gone after Google a couple of times now recently, suggesting that there is a bias in the company that keeps positive stories about the Trump administration out of the headlines if you were to search, for example, Trump News or something. And Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey scheduled to testify on Capitol Hill this week at a hearing requested by Kevin McCarthy. And he said, I've had many conversations with the president about how we have to stop this bias. I've spoken to Jack Dorsey throughout the month. He added, he and I are philosophically, uh, sorry, he and I philosophically disagree But we do agree on one thing. We believe in the First Amendment. We also believe in transparency and accountability. So we'll see if this uh, turns into anything, this conversation uh, between Kevin McCarthy and Jack Dorsey. But Dorsey's got, uh, I think, some questions to answer when it comes to the, the attitude that Twitter takes on certain political stances. Because in tech world... What, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, Google, any of the any any of the big companies, they clearly have a political bent. Is it acceptable for them to have that? I'm thinking about the president's tweet this hour about Sessions and the Jeff Sessions Justice Department and how they're trying to sandbag some of these elections, putting words in his mouth, but essentially going after popular Republicans. Uh, Democrats need to pick up 23 seats to take control of the House. And there was a report last week that the president's aides uh, seemed to to be obsessed with the fact that if the Democrats take control of the House, they're going to open up impeachment proceedings and the, the whole bit and make it their mission. And I got to believe that some of that got into the president's headspace. And that's why he's uh, tweeting about Jeff Sessions. You mean and that he's concerned Duncan about Duncan Hunter today. Yeah. Um. I don't know if that's a good political move for Democrats to campaign on. You don't? I don't think so. I think that's meat to the base, red meat to the blue base. Yeah, you know, but, to, but is to it to campaign is it en- on we're going to get rid of this guy? Is it enough to – well, they're never going to get rid of him because even if they take the House, they're never going to get the two-thirds majority in the Senate. But to, just that they get- would put up a fight. Yeah, but we saw what happened with the Clinton impeachment. I mean, just in terms of – we were not – paralyzed but yeah. it was it took up so much time when there's so many other things that i don't they can think do. that they care i think that this is like number one priority for them is to see this guy crash and burn we'll see, we'll see what happens um and then the last thing is uh the mention about ted cruz Beto o'rourke is um is the democrat who could take on or who is going to take on ted cruz he has been defending the NFL players' right to protest during the national anthem. Um, there was a, the video, that video where he does that. LeBron James called it a must-watch. Uh, Beto O'Rourke uh, is cruising through a Whataburger parking lot on a skateboard is almost as popular. And they're saying that this guy, who was at one time a punk rocker, is even a dark horse possibility to run for president in 2020. So they said they describe it uh, sort of as the young Barack Obama in that he could be 
somebody that energizes uh, the younger voters in the Democratic Party to come out and, and do that. But this is the same guy that uh, that President Trump is going to go a campaign, basically campaign against in order to campaign in favor of Ted Cruz in the largest stadium in Texas or wherever he decides to do that. So, uh, Michael Avenatti, by the way, is... Uh, going to have a large resistance rally in Texas at the exact same time as Trump's. Michael Avenatti, of course, Stormy Daniels' lawyer, who now has political aspirations, tweeting about uh, his grandmother, how she worked at a hair salon, and uh, you know the you know the stories. <laughs> therefore, the stories that we hear. You know, my mother was born on a cotton farm in Texas. There was no midwife. It's like the the stories that are trotted out when someone's going to run. Does he, has he been? My just, mother had no shoes. <laughs> it's like, come on now. He's been watching way too much coverage of himself oh, on television. God, that's a that's a sad thing. All right, uh, we'll take you into that New Mexico compound when we come back to the Gary and Shannon show. So I know you've been dying to know who's going to be the next Bachelor. Who is going to be the next Bachelor, There's I was just be wondering. an official announcement tomorrow morning. Ooh. Everybody thinks it's going to be the Virgin. What was his name? Colton. Colton. Not that I know, but I think on Instagram looked like he was hanging out with that one girl, though. What was that girl, Tia? Was that the one who came around? Yeah. And was like, I don't want him. I do. Wouldn't yeah. Jordan be a way better one? Which one was Jordan? The gold underwear guy. No. Was he the model guy? No, he would. Yeah. He'd be so entertaining, though. No, he would be annoying. That's the same thing. Yeah, on the I think, yeah, I was going to say that would probably That's translate to the same. It would be the same thing. Hey, there was a big bear that had to be tranquilized today. Did you see this? Um, the bear was uh, in a driveway at Catalpa Road. Just south of the 210, a couple blocks east of uh, Michelinda. And they're going to take that little guy, or big guy, I guess, big guy, and hang him out in the forest and let him let him wake up, hung over, and not understanding how he felt. Man, I am so sleepy right now. It's like now. I was so close to that trash bin. And now I've got to go all the way back <laughs> down to the I neighborhood. Remember. <clears throat> all right. Um, bottom of the hour, we're going to talk more about this story of Jeffrey Owens. A Cosby Show actor showed up at a Trader Joe's, uh, well, working at a Trader Joe's. Somebody recognized him, takes a picture. For some reason, this goes viral and prompts this uh, discussion about actors having real jobs. In fact, on Twitter today, uh, in response to this, there is a, a hashtag that is trending. It's actors with day jobs. There was a court filing on Friday that has shed light on details coming out of that New Mexico compound that is now being described as a terrorist compound. Yeah, and when you compare what we saw in this court filing on Friday to the way this story has been covered in some circles, it's bizarre that there's an ignoring of the facts that were detailed in court. So... We knew that uh, the arrested people, Siraj Wahaj, his sisters, uh, one of the sisters' husbands, and then another Islamic wife, uh, Janie Lavelle, who was uh, married to this guy, 
and 11 children all taken into custody. And a few days later, we knew that they were looking specifically for a missing three-year-old. That's why they went to that compound in the first place. The missing three-year-old, which was the ringleader's son, who had some sort of um, problems at birth, deformity, or uh, some special needs that the father believed was uh, part of a demonic possession. One of the people in the compound reached out to Grandpa on social media saying, hey, we're here and we're starving and we're in New Mexico. And that's how the ball got rolling. Yeah, it's what prompted the original raid on this compound. So they took these 11 kids. They eventually found the corpse of the three-year-old son. And the issues now are what sort of charges are going to be filed. Because the state case was dropped because the judge, the investigators had 10 days to make some procedural thing happen, and it didn't happen. So the FBI comes in. They swoop in and immediately charge them uh, federally. And the... Ringleader in all of this, Siraj Wahaj, is not eligible for release because of his outstanding warrant from Georgia that was related to the kidnapping of his three-year-old that they eventually found the body of. And he's also, uh, I guess, his Islamic wife was taken into custody because she happens to be a native of Haiti, and she's been taken into custody by ICE. So court transcripts are telling us more. Uh, An FBI agent testified that two of the malnourished children said that they had been trained in advanced firearms handling, had been instructed to shoot law enforcement personnel when the time came, and that they would be instructed in the future to attack specific targets like teachers, schools, banks, and other corrupt institutions. Yeah. Now, the prosecutor says that they were harboring in this compound an arsenal of weapons. Neighbors said that the group was using a shooting range on the compound excessively. They they uh, seized a DVD that describes how to build an untraceable assault rifle at home. There was a book on the psychology of combat. There was a picture of a group that was bent on terrorist attacks because it was clearly, I mean, everything about this home, home, this compound, was lending itself to being a training facility for this sort of thing. There was also a letter uncovered uh, to Siraj's brother. The letter encouraged the brother to follow Allah, quoting here, until he makes you die as a martyr as you wanted, and the only way is by joining the righteous. The letter added that the brother should take all your money out of the bank and will bring you guns showing that they wanted to grow their fighting. They wanted to get more people into their terrorist sect. Now, you can't necessarily say that a guy writes a plan down and that he was going to execute that plan, but they found a 10-page handwritten document called Phases of a Terrorist Attack. Uh, I'm pulling the car over You go ahead. If you and I were carrying out a terrorist attack or planning on it, and we were exchanging documents back and forth, wouldn't we head the document something like... (laughs) Chocolate chip cookie recipe. Chargers Chiefs game notes or something. Yes. You know, something that's like completely not our terror plans. Yes. Um, this phases of a terrorist attack handwritten document included instructions for the one-time terrorist providing detailed instructions on determining ideal attack locations, using choke points, defending safe havens, escaping perimeter rings, detecting sniper positions. Now, the problem is that There are some who have painted this as sort of a uh, just a off the grid family who was having a hard time without electricity. 
No, this was like a terrorist camp. Oh, I know. Uh, some interviews with the children shed some more light. Uh, statements that uh, that he told the children that he wished to die in jihad as a martyr. They all jokingly would talk about dying in jihad. The children said that they were told to confront corrupt institutions like military CIA, American schools, and wanted to reveal the truth to these places. They talk about uh, if the police ever came to the property, they were to defend the property using firearms. They found several guns located at the end of a tunnel. The kids told officials the tunnel served as an escape route should authorities raid the compound. Hey, that Islamic wife you were talking about, Mm -hmm. Janie Lavelle. Sounds nice. A whole handbag of crazy. She apparently had a journal, and it shows that she's just totally delusional. She thought that um, this guy's son was really conceived in her womb, but that black magic was used to remove the fetus and transfer him to another womb. Oh. There's a talk of Jesus being resurrected. Let me let me just read to you, Bill, by the way, just to prove a, a point on here, that there are people who are ignoring how dangerous this group was. There was an article from CNN. They tweeted out a link to it. And the headline on this article was not uh, New Mexico compound was terrorist haven or terrorist training camp or terrorists in my backyard or they wanted to kill you or anything like that. It was this New Mexico compound family struggled with life off the grid. Wow. That's I've painting quite that. the picture. And and they didn't talk about the circumstances of the raid where there were all kinds of guns found. They didn't talk about the arrests of the siblings and their spouses, the treatment of the children. They just talked about how, man, it must have been rough out there in northern New Mexico. Man, those winters must have been cold. One of the elderly men wiped the nose of a crying child. Yes, and then probably took that baby home and beat the crap out of him. That's That's something. Uh, not that's pretty irresponsible. Just this wildly uh, ridiculous belief that all oh, people are good inside, and we just need to hug them. That's how we're going to make the good come out. We're going to squeeze the good right out of them. <laughs> all right, Gary and Shannon. More coming up next. Amy. Squeeze it out squeeze like it out. How do you want me to spell my name? Exactly how you spell it. That's appropriate for you? Although there is an extra N at the end. There's an extra F if you're counting that as well. No, two Fs make sense, though. The two Ns just seem... Gratuitous? Gratuitous. Well, you're just my, trying to get attention with that extra was, N. My family was pretty bougie back in Germany in the uh, 1840s, so uh, that's how they could tell the rich ones from the poor ones. Is that right? Who could afford the extra N? Oh. No, that's not how. You're saying you don't like... People whose name uh, is Jeffrey, they should probably spell it with what? A J and an E? And not the Joffrey that everyone sees? Yeah. Okay. You say so. You know, I tell you things in confidence mm-hmm. off the air. And then? And then you betray my trust. 
I hit my head on the microphone. Um, I did betray your trust. We're talking about uh, this story that for some reason got legs over the weekend. There was a woman who took a picture of Jeffrey Owens bagging groceries at Trader Joe's in Clifton, New Jersey. Jeffrey Owens? Yes, that's Jeffrey Owens. He played Elvin Thibodeau for five seasons on The Cosby Show. Who? Married to Sandra, right? The oldest daughter, I think, on The Cosby Show. sounds about right. And uh, he was kind of a goober, and he was funny, and a big round moon face, and he's, you know... It was a job. It was a five-year job. And there was a, an article in the New Yorker this weekend that explains uh, by Michael Schulman that said that he remembered Jeffrey Owens, not from the Cosby show, but because when he was a sophomore at Yale, Jeffrey Owens was teaching undergraduate acting. He's the son of a former congressman. He graduated cum laude from Yale in, in 1983. He's uh, taught at primary stages in Columbia University. He's got a history on Broadway, most recently a few years back in Romeo and Juliet. He's been on The Affair on TV. I mean, this guy is a working actor in that you might not necessarily see him as an A-list actor, but he's made a living at it. And now somebody sees him bagging groceries in Clifton, New Jersey, and takes a picture of him. And now actors are responding in mass, talking about all the side jobs that they've had to work between roles. Hashtag actors with day jobs. <laughs> it's a little funny because it seems like a manufactured outrage, manufactured crisis. Everyone's got to have something to get their feathers ruffled over. Yeah. Isn't that unique to right now? It's like you have to have something to be enraged about. Well, when the the photo was snapped by a woman, um, her name, I believe, is Karma Lawrence. Um, she sent it to the Daily Mail, sort of the tabloidy version of a newspaper online, ran the headline from learning lines to serving the lawn line. And then Fox News picks up on it. And uh, over the weekend, this Twitter storm erupts. Most of it was shaming Fox News for shaming Jeffrey Owens for earning a earning a living working at a grocery store. Right. And so actors are saying there's no shame in that game. We've all been there. Uh, Terry Crews, I, sh- I swept floors after at the NFL. Uh, if need be, I'd do it again. Good, honest work is nothing to be ashamed of. Donnie Wahlberg saying, I don't know Jeffrey Owens, but I know this. Most every successful actor, singer, athlete, or celebrity is one lucky or unlucky breakaway from bagging groceries themselves. Few would admit it. Few are humble enough to do it. But see, I don't even think humility plays into this. No. The guy just need. the guy wants a job. I mean, here, if you don't work at something, you will disintegrate. Mentally, physically, you will disintegrate. You were made to do something. Not sit around and do nothing, right? Right. I, I mean, and and one job uh, with the Cosby Show in the eighties is not, you know, Tom Hanks. You know, like what's this guy doing working at a Trader Joe's? You know, that's a very short stint, a very long time ago. And and think of this: even as even as recently as maybe three or four years ago, this guy was pulling in royalty checks from the Cosby Show. Right. I mean, it's in syndication. He was. Then the Cosby thing happens. And I mean, the Bill Cosby thing. True. Those syndication checks died 
I don't know anybody who's watching the Cosby show anymore. I think it's funny, though, and, and this is a thing I think that's happening more and more with, uh, and we're seeing it with people who are graduating college and not taking the crap jobs. Like you and I, if we got a call this afternoon from Robin and she said, your show was such crap today, you're, you're both gone. We would be tomorrow in line at Subway or wherever right. to get a job. Yeah, because we would not be at home being like, well, that's beneath me or like, I don't know if I want to do that because we are seeing a lot of that with the next generation. It's like not taking a job because it's not good enough where I think you and I come from the belief of a job is a job. Go make a paycheck. Well, and it's beyond that. It's beyond just the paycheck part of it for me. I mean, I think my mentality is I know how bad I can be if I'm a, like uh, I get restless on a weekend. Yeah, I know. If I go, you know, I'll sit for the first yeah. hour or two and have a cup of coffee and relax and chat with my wife or whatever. But then I'm like, OK, what are need we doing? Something today? to do. Yeah. Got to find something to right. do. I, but it's also because, you know, you need to make money to support your family. True. And you don't care if it's going to be bag and groceries or whatever. Yeah. It's not like some great uh, fall from grace. It's like, well, I got to go make money some somehow else. Yeah. And the idea that I mean, Donnie Wahlberg, I don't know if he if I'm reading into that correctly, that few would few enough few would be humble enough to do it, uh, humble enough to bag groceries or, you know, work at Trader Joe's or something like that. Uh, I don't. I don't. I don't think humility plays into that. I don't think the guy's lowering lowering himself right to you know to That's something exactly my point. below Thank him. We're crystallizing that exactly. Um, a job is a job, right? Okay, so it did bring up the fun topic of celebrity sightings, though. Uh, a lot of us have had them, and we wanted to hear about them because hey, it's Labor Day, and let's take some calls. And that makes sense that you know actors laboring. Uh, and we see them. Yeah. And we should do something about so, it. So give us a call. <laughs> we, want the, we want the weirdest celebrity sightings, by the way. Not like, hey, I was at a movie premiere and I saw Jennifer Lawrence. That right. doesn't, that's right. not. I want something like I was shopping for bananas and yeah. Shakira let me buy her bunch of bananas. Yeah, that she not, was... nothing like I was at StubHub last week and I saw Philip Rivers. <laughs> it doesn't, oh, that doesn't. That Unless. Doesn't Unless you were walking to StubHub Center and Philip Rivers pulled over and gave you a ride the rest of the way. Or I was driving and he was walking there. Also, excellent. Excellent. That's a good one. So weird celebrity sightings. Everybody's got one. We want to hear what yours is. 1-800-520-1KFI. 800-520-1534. And we'll take those calls when we come back. Gary and Shannon will continue. Shannon, big stories that we're following include the uh, shootings, one in San Bernardino at an apartment complex during a dice game. At least uh, eight people shot, two of them said to be critically injured. Multiple weapons, multiple shooters, and uh, by the way, apparently nobody saw anything. Witnesses have been very hard to come by. Um, The other one was the shooting at the Del Mar racetrack. Guy couldn't get into uh, the Ice Cube concert. They were sold out of tickets. So what better way to express your frustration than by uh, peeling a cap? You know, these holiday weekends, there's too much togetherness, you know? <laughs> too much togetherness. Yeah, you know, a lot of downtime, a lot of time to snap. Hey, we're talking about celebrity sightings, odd celebrity sightings. And I was remembered of a story John Thomas told me 
not long ago. So you mean John Thomas of the Thomas Guide to Politics that yeah. you hear every Friday right here on the Bill Handel Show? Yes. Excellent. John Thomas was kind enough to call in and uh, joins us now. John, what are you wearing? <laughs> I'm in my Lululemon. I just left the gym. Oh, okay. Oh. Top to bottom? Yeah. Uh, yeah, top to bottom, full Lulu. Hmm. But, I'm, I'm, but I can't wait to share this story with you guys. Couldn't they have come up with a better name for their men's line than Lulu? Couldn't they have called it like Bob Bob or something? It, it, it is a little emasculating, but the, but the clothing is worth the emasculation. I agree. It's it pretty is. fantastic stuff. Yeah. All right. Yeah, so tell us what your story is. Weird okay, celebrity so sighting. Here, yeah, so this is by far my weirdest celebrity sighting, but it's also my best. So as you know, uh, every Friday I'm, I'm at KFI, and, uh, and I, I came early that day, and I, I went down the street in Toluca Lake to uh, a Sweet Salt, I think it is. Uh, it's a little brunch spot, and I'm sitting in there, you know, I'm working on my laptop, getting a little bit of time, having a cup of coffee, and there's music on the overhead speaker system. Now, this is not a big coffee shop. Okay, you guys know Toluca Lake. It's not exactly, you know, they don't have big, uh, big restaurants. No. So there's maybe two other people in this coffee shop. I'm sitting there, you know, working, working, working. And over the overhead speaker, the song, If I Ain't Got You by Alicia Keys comes on. And, you know, it's, it's playing. And I hear in the back corner somebody gently singing along to it. And it starts escalating the, the, uh, the levels of the song, and it crescendos with the song. And I look over, and it's Alicia Keys. Singing her own song. Singing to her own song in a awesome? coffee shop in Toluca Lake. By the way, she did a great job. Well, I would <laughs> imagine, yes. It's so funny. <laughs> I love that story because uh, for a couple reasons. Number one, <laughs> how much more L.A. can you get than that? And number two, uh, you know, you, when you think about stars and their, like, most popular songs, you always kind of feel like secretly they hate that song because they have to sing it every time they perform, right? But she loves the song so much that she's singing it even when she doesn't need to be singing it, right? Right. I was just praying that I was like, well, if what if I turn on my Spotify on my cell phone and I play This Girl's on Fire? <laughs> Could I do a duet? <laughs> <laughs> uh, she thanks you for not idea. doing that, by the way. <laughs> yeah, right. But anyway, that was one of those moments where you just have to pinch yourself going, am I, is this really happening? Right, right. <laughs> I love it. Thank you, John. Oh, thank you. And don't <laughs> forget, up, guys. you can uh, you can find John's podcast, The Thomas Guide to Politics, Thomas Guide, uh, by going to the iHeartRadio app and typing in Thomas Guide. All right. Weird, weird celebrity sightings. We prompted because of this whole Jeffrey Owens' story where he was uh, found at the Trader Joe's where he was working. James is calling. Hey, James, what's going on? What's up, guys? How you doing? Good. Right on. Well, I was uh, living in Sherman Oaks, mm-hmm. and there was, uh, you know, there's a porn store there. There he is? Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh. In the valley? <laughs> That's so in weird. Valley, yeah. Uh, anyways, I saw um, Tommy Davidson. You know, I was buying some videos myself, and he had a stack of them. You know what, James? I really appreciate your honesty. What uh, I'm, I'm what, what flavor were you going time. for at that uh, well, at that stop? I'm not going to say. I'm, not, I'm just going to oh. say. What's the matter video? with you? What you flavor? Know. I'm just asking. Was for? he like totally into the weird stuff? He's or? he's kind enough to to share his story. Let's right. not press for details. That's a good point. Yeah, no, uh, I don't. I saw what he had, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put him out there like that. <laughs> I was asking about what you had. 
No. Uh, the, 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 we're talking about Tommy Davis. You're right. Yeah, it's all about Tommy at this point. James, thanks for your call. We appreciate it. Uh, Courtney is calling. Welcome to the Gary and Shannon Show. Thank you. So um, this is around 2007, and my friend Denny and I were at a bar in Silver Lake. And uh, just the two of us, we were kind of hogging up a big table. And this group of three guys came up, and one of them said, hey, can we share your table? So we said yes, and I realized one of them was Sasha Baron Cohen. And this was shortly after Borat had come out. I knew who he was. Um, and he sat there the whole time, didn't say a word, was very awkward, very socially awkward, totally unlike Borat. And this is back when I had a flip phone, and I'm trying to text Denny, like, do you see who's sitting across from us at the table, you know, with the numbers to spell out the letters? And he finally realized it was like, oh, that is him. But we were almost doubting it because he was just sitting there, like no personality, very uh, unexpected. He seems kind of like he would be socially awkward, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Courtney, thank you. He definitely was. Thanks. (laughs) Thanks. Rick is calling. Hey, Rick, what's your uh, weird celebrity sighting? Well, it goes back a few years. I'm guessing mid-early 70s. Okay. Um, a friend of mine, I grew up on Long Island, New York, and there's a strip of uh, beach called Fire Island. And my buddy Jack and I had a habit of going out there on the mornings, the crack of dawn, and surf casting. So we're out there, sun's coming up, surf casting. There's another guy, I don't know, 50 yards over or so. And you're, you're walking back and forth across the beach. So we got a little close to this guy, just talking to him about fishing. Turns out it's Dom DeLuise, just out yeah. there in the morning, surf casting like anybody else, man, just a regular guy, you know? Was he funny? But, I mean, I would assume. He was just a regular guy. He's yeah. out there fishing. I mean, I knew who he was. I asked him, you look familiar. And I'm looking at him, I said, you Dom DeLuise? He goes, yeah, okay, what's, whatever, what's biting? I'm not a starstruck kind of person, so I really don't give a rip about the, you know, the, the, the that part of it. But um, it was just kind of cool just to see, you know, somebody you're used to seeing. This was back when, what, Blazing Saddles came out. Sure. <laughs> uh, you know, and it was just kind of cool. He's just out there fishing. Hi, how you doing? You boys doing okay? You know, what's biting? Nothing. Rick, so your, uh, your New York accent is why I came to work today. So thank you for the call. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. Rick. Have a, have a blessed day. Thanks, you too. Uh, Debbie is calling. Hi, Debbie. Hi, I actually have two stories of two famous people that I've seen. Okay. And one of them was, I was at a Ralph's Market in Beverly Hills, this is a number of years ago, and I look up and I see Paul McCartney. And so I call my girlfriend and I go, Jane, I see Paul McCartney at the grocery store. And she says, follow them, what is he buying? <laughs> so then I take my car and I kind of follow him and Heather Mill, and I hear um, him saying to her, hey babe, do you want any potatoes? And, and things like that. And I'm trying to follow, and I honestly, and I, I don't mean this in a mean way, but I was looking at her trying to figure out if I could tell which leg was, was her prosthetic leg, wow. and I couldn't tell, and I couldn't tell. <laughs> so, so then I buy my stuff, and then I turn around, and I think, okay, I'll follow them, and and then I'm in the line again, and this woman is in front of me, and he's there in front of her, and she turns to me, and she goes, oh, my God. And then I heard the teller say, um, well, you saved $20, and Paul McCartney goes, oh, I saved $20. That's so cool. Jeez. <laughs> that was great. <laughs> and then I have another story for you. What was it? 
I was in Italy, and I was at the um, newsstand at the airport in um, Naples, and I'm going home, and I'm all grumpy because now I'm, my trip is over with. And I'm at the newsstand, and I see these women, and they're talking about somebody, and they go, oh, she's not and – the, and the newspaper, they go, oh, she's not that pretty. Oh, I don't know why he would leave her. And it was um, – they were talking about Jude Law when he had an affair with his, the nanny. And I look up, and I recognize the woman, and then I look over, and I see that – I see Sylvester Stallone, and it's his wife. <laughs> Oh my gosh! So weird. So I, so I go up to him and I said, "Can I have my picture taken with you?" And I don't even like Sylvester Stallone, so I don't even know why I said that. And then he says in this deep voice, "He goes, make it quick." I'm like, "Okay." And then that was it. And then I have my make picture it taken quick. with him. <laughs> Just get yeah, it over with. It. How many times has he yeah. said that to people? <laughs> Debbie, thank you. I appreciate that. We're taking calls. Uh, weirdest celebrity sightings that you've had, just to lighten it up a little bit for Labor Day. We'll come back and take some more calls. One eight hundred five two zero. 1-KFI, 800-520-1534. Oh, my God, I can't wait to get to Nicole's story. <laughs> Gary and Shannon will continue in just a moment. Amy King, what's up? Are you going to share yours again for anybody who might not know? Mine? Yeah. Who's Who did it? What? With your son and his car? Oh, that's a good that one. Was, that's, that's a, a good really one. good one. one. Excellent one. I forgot okay, yes. about that. I'll do that when we come back okay. to it. Gary and Shannon wrapping up our Labor Day show today. Uh, Amy reminded me my weird celebrity sighting. Uh, my son was selling a, a pickup truck a couple years ago. And um, when the guy came to buy the pickup from us, it was Officer John Baker from from Chips. That was insane. And I was stunned. And my son had zero. He had no idea. He right. just thought it was a guy in a truck with his wife, and he was buying it for their college-age son, et cetera. Like, I had, I freaked out all over my kid because he didn't know who that was. I'm still mad at you that you didn't get his number so we can call him when there's a chase on to get him to, like, <laughs> MC it with us. That would be great. Uh, all right, so we're taking your calls as to people that you have run into. Nicole is calling. What's going on, Nicole? Hi. Okay, so it was 2001, I think. I was a hostess at Mimi's Cafe in Long Beach, and it was 7 in the morning, and a woman came in and asked for two coffees and children's menus and crayons, and she said, we're sitting on the patio. So I went and got that stuff and came out, and it was Robert Downey Jr., and they were sitting at this table kind of away from everyone else, and he had sunglasses on, and he had an ankle bracelet, um, <laughs> and I didn't really know who he was. I just served them he flipped the, the children's menu over and started drawing with the crayons like kind of wild and erratic <laughs> it almost like coloring therapy yeah and when i went back in the entire restaurant you know crew was in the room right there like freaking out and i was like what and they were like oh my god that's robert Downey jr <laughs> but i had no idea at the time what was going on the coloring is yeah. odd which also yeah. came if you remember uh iron man 3 when uh, Tony Stark is coloring on the back of the children's menu in that restaurant, and the kids come up to him and ask him. and Oh, wow. Yeah. That happened in the oh, movie. It happened in real life. Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. Whoa. Well, you guys got to watch yeah, more movies. Yeah, so it was intense. It was intense. <laughs> uh, Nicole, thank you very much. Devin is calling. Hey, Devin, what's going on? Good, man. About four or five years ago, I was uh, at a dive bar in Whittier, and we saw Snoop Dogg, and we were debating for 15 minutes if it was him or not, because he was with younger guys. Me, 22, 23-year-olds, like, no, it's not him, it's not him. One of the guys come over, was like, no, it's my uncle. You know, he's here for my birthday. 
he ends up coming over and drinking with us for 10, 15 minutes, having a beer, laughing, talking exactly like you would think Snoop Dogg would talk. <laughs> we, we were the same goatee at the time, and he's like, hey, bro, I love your goatee, man. It looks so good. I was like, oh, man, yeah. Devin, you just restored just so uh, all my faith in uh, bars and Whittier. Uh, I didn't know you had bar. lost faith. It's the best one out there, but it was it, it was him, and it was crazy. Very cool, Devin. Thank you. By the way, have you seen um, have you seen Joker's Wild, the new Snoop Dogg show that he hosts? No. Unbelievable. Mary is calling. Welcome to the Gary and Shannon Show. Hi. So I have two of them. One of them was Wayne Knight from um, Newman from Seinfeld. Right. I yeah, I was in the grocery store. I was in Ralph's in Pasadena. You didn't say. I, you didn't say hello, Newman. I so did. No, you did so not. Oh. You have to say that. I, I uh. had to. So I looked up and I'm like, that's Newman. And I said, <laughs> he was writing back to me and I said, hello, Newman. <laughs> and he goes, hello, person. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. He was super nice. He was super nice. And um, the second one, it was Barbara Streisand, not so super nice. I was going to um, say, I bet that that's not the story with her. Yeah. No, uh-uh. Um, so I was in a restaurant in Beverly Hills, and I was in the restroom, and they had, like, a whole, like, vanity area before you even got to the other part, and she was sitting there. I was like, oh, my gosh. I was all excited. I go to the bathroom. I come out, and there was a woman who asked her for her autograph. She was telling her she and her husband had been fans forever, seen her on Broadway, funny girl, whole thing. And she didn't want to bother her in public, but she had a notepad and a pen. She said, I would love to get your autograph. We're huge supporters of you. And she said, yeah, um, I don't do that. (gasps) She said, I don't have time for that. And I was such a fan, and you could just hear my heart break in half, and the woman's too. And I walked up to her, and I was like 23 at the time. And I said, you know what? If it weren't for people like her, you wouldn't be people like you. You Yeah. Oh, well done, Mary. Poke her in the chest or anything? That's great. Did you poke her in the chest? Uh, uh, But I wanted to. What was her reaction? What was her reaction to that? I didn't stick around to look. I turned tail and ran. Good for you. Awesome. That's great, Mary. Jim is calling. Hey, Jim, what's going on? Hey, how's it going? Um, In the 70s, like 72, 73, I worked at the Marina Del Rey boat show. And uh, during the show, one of the days, uh, a boat, someone's craft, started to list really hard to the left. It had a bunch of people on it. So here comes Joey Bishop with his boat. So he pulls up next to the boat that's having some problems. He takes all the girls with the bikinis off the boat, and then, then he motors off. And these guys say, hey, help us, help us. Everybody at the boat show is laughing. You could throw a coin and hit that boat. You know, it's not, there's no danger. So, so then following day, I go across the street to the Blue Dolphin Inn. I sit down at the counter. I start to order some food. And sitting next to me is John Wayne. And I find out later in life that, Lido Island, off that in the distance, is, is where uh, John Wayne, Joey Bishop, and, and some of these different celebrities were living out. Did you ever hang oh, out at the Red cool. Onion? No, ma'am. But I, I did remember something while you had me on hold. I don't know how long y'all been around Burbank. Do you remember the Copper Penny Restaurant? I remember Negative. the name of it, but I don't know. Where was it? Uh, okay. You're, you're coming around like you're going to the smokehouse. Sure. And you're in that bend. Yeah. You're going in that bend. There's that Starlit Motel or yeah. something. Okay, just prior to that, on the right, was the Copper Penny. And often there was, you, you could take a, an hour's worth of calls of celebrities seen there because the proximity to Universal. Yeah, well, that and Warner Brothers, et cetera, right there. That, 
But thank you for that. Ken is calling. Hey, Ken. Hey, how you doing? Great. What's up? Oh, uh, listen. Uh, I was at uh, Hustler Casino, and uh, I'm a novice gambler, obviously. And I was there, and uh, Emilio Rivera. I don't know if you guys know who he is, but he's like an all-time hero to me because he plays in like you know Sons of Anarchy. Yeah. And then uh, his new show Mayans coming out. But they were filming there, uh, shooting a couple scenes, and they were showing all these other guys. But uh, I didn't see Emilio Rivera anywhere. Also, I was walking outside, and there he was sitting in in the breezeway right there on a chair. And I turned around, looked at him, I go, Mr. Rivera, how you doing? And he goes, oh, not much, how you doing? He goes, can I get your picture with you? He goes, yeah, sure. But I had to take off my jacket, had his Mayans jacket on. I don't know why he said that, though, but it was kind of cool. Just saying, because, you know, guys like that, you know, to me are, I like guns and violence, so that's about it. Ken, thank you. Well, <laughs> and right there, uh, Brian Suits. <laughs> Brian Suits is in for John and Ken today. Uh, he's oh. a big thumbs up, ready to no. go. Okay. All right, John Roger and Ken. That. Uh, Hashtag guns and violence. <laughs> the parts of John and Ken, played by Brian today. We'll see you tomorrow. Stay dry, everybody. L-A-T-T-I-H-T-B-D. Look at the time. I have to be going. Gary and Shannon.